If you were watching closely, there was a clue. Got the million dollar check written already. I mean, I'm, I'm the winner. My wife and kids have definitely saved me from my demons. Last time I played like a cop, this time I'm playing like a criminal. I don't need to be carried. The girls are coming together and we're spinning the guys around as much as we can and then we're devouring them. I guess my nickname's Fabio. Each new day I get out here is a blessing because I was only supposed to get three. So I'm either gonna win or I'm gonna die trying. Welcome to The Winner's Edit, a Survivor storyline and editing podcast. I'm your host, Joe. Greetings, I'm Dan. And today we have a special guest. Hey, I'm Spencer. Yep, so we have a third person here to discuss, fittingly, episode three of Survivor Winners at War, Out for Blood. Good to be here. Thank you for having me, Joe and Dan. Mm-hmm. We've been considering bringing our friend Spencer here on the show for quite a while. He's a cool dude. He knows a lot about Survivor. Um, and we figured, why not have an extra guest just to spice things up? Especially on an episode that, when you really think about it, not a whole lot happened. Yeah, just sort of, I mean, there's a lot that just had to happen. And then it really did feel like a contained story of what happened in this round of play. Exactly. I think the interesting, I think overall this episode was pretty good. But again, this is one of those, it's in kind of in spite of itself, where so many things are just inherent necessary to the story itself whether it's people finding things on edge of extinction people finding things uh on edge of extinction that then impact the game in a way where you can't really not show someone finding an extra vote you can't really not show somebody how they got it stuff like that so really a huge amount of this week's episode runtime was devoted to things that they really couldn't have cut out no matter what unless they were just gonna surprise the audience with an extra vote or something along those lines or I guess steal a vote. So it's really, really interesting that they went this direction and it left us with a very little storytelling. What do you make of that, Spencer? Felt like a bit of a filler episode. You know, you're watching your favorite TV show, there's a story going on and then a random episode comes in where you feel like a lot has been left out and you sit through and it was okay, but not a lot's happened. And uh, I agree with you that you can't not show this stuff, but maybe don't have 20 minutes on the edge. Yeah, we, we did the math, we crunched the numbers and we found out that Literally, the episode is obviously 43 minutes and six seconds. And if you just take in Edge of Extinction, Sarah's little pursuit on uh, the other tribe that comes from Edge of Extinction in the challenge, that was 21-ish minutes. So roughly half the runtime of the episode was devoted to stuff that was Edge of Extinction related or challenge. Definitely something to kind of notice. And you're right. I think this was a filler episode. I think we did get a fun tribal council and a fun actual explanation explanation of how the vote went down which i think will actually hold it in some high regard in the future but it's definitely interesting that this really was a self-contained episode for the most part yeah i think other than how the vote played out and how it's an interesting sort of uh back and forth um i think that will hold up otherwise i really like those episodes where nothing like super iconic happened in the end um, it's just part of the story going forward. So, yeah, um, uh, I do think it's interesting how we're saying, oh, they can't leave this out. But then one of the things we saw right at the beginning was Denise was like, oh, yeah, before the tribal, Adam gave me back my uh, idol. So I have it now. And it's just weird that things get left out. Um, flashbacks are more and more a part of Survivor. Just interesting stuff like that. Change how they're deciding to choose what to show us and what not to show us. Mm -hmm. absolutely 
And I think that is an interesting point. I feel like that's that bodes well for Denise. Denise's chances of playing that idol correctly. I feel like the fact that they're like, hey, just so you know, she has it. It's, it's she just has an idol now was mm-hmm. good. But I also think as much as we're saying a lot of this was necessary content and that you can't really have an episode without it. A lot of this was also the story of what went wrong with Adam's plan. And I think that kind of started with last week's episode when Denise was like, wow, I really like Ben that he didn't ask for the idol. And then Adam asks for it. And then we see literally from moment one, it's like, okay, Adam no longer has that power over Denise. And then a slow decline into the precarious position. Adam finds himself in at the end of this episode. Think about mm-hmm. the, um, when you think about the half idol as well, remember the, what happened to the last person who gave up the other half of the idol. Devin's, uh, Rick Devins oh. and Chris Underwood on edge of extinction. Ah. Yeah, ends up being a uh, being a huge thorn in the side of their game. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, what do we know about this episode? I thought it was weird how it started with this weird uh, vocal song with words. I both times I rewatched, I googled to see what Lord song it was. It's not a Lord song. I don't know who sings it, but interesting. That definitely sounded like Lord. Was it the promo song that they used for the season? It might have been. It did sound uh, familiar. I believe so. I think Which it might, might have also been in Um, What else? There was the challenge. Still, We're still in a random challenge generator mode for me. Oh, absolutely. I love that preseason. They were like, these are only going to be challenges you've seen before. They're going to be iconic ones from the past. But really, when you look at this, like this challenge was like, has this one ran before? Like ninja jump into push heavy thing into uh weird tree puzzle? Like I don't remember that iconic survivor challenge. <laughs> Just a combination of different challenges that they've used before. The um like I know the beginning part of the challenge, they did it in um I know they did it at least in Kagiyan. Yeah, they did it in Kagiyan, San Juan del Sor, Ghost Island, and Island of the Idols. And then the oh. Then the tree puzzle was used in one world and worlds apart. So it's literally just like combining huh. two different challenges that they've done. Interesting. Which yeah, I mean, uh, Tony, Tony, Wendell, Tony Wendell and Jeremy, both like all three of them competed <laughs> in the challenge and none of them have won it twice. Hmm. Um, interesting. At least once again, saw so much of the puzzle. Like, <laughs> so it's not, I guess, intriguing me as much to watch these puzzle showdowns, especially the tree puzzle, which I feel is so obtuse to a viewer like they never focus on one part long enough for me to figure it out in any way yeah there's way too many cuts it's mm-hmm. kind of a ridiculous editing choice for this kind of thing where it's like how could i actually evaluate how well they're doing if i can't see the pieces that they're playing with and stuff like that like i i don't know it's really not a fantastic challenge i do think they're lucky that this broke out in a way where it was actually so like nail bitingly close mm-hmm Maybe that was editing, but it actually seemed like it was really like to the very last second, which I was actually invested, which is a testament to survivor challenges because most of the time I tend to kind of zone out. Mm -hmm. Uh, What interested me much more from just like an escape room enthusiast standpoint is what happened on the edge where it's now literally escape room puzzles the island. (laughs) Yeah, I literally did an escape room uh, last weekend. And we had, like, the exact same puzzle, which, like, shout out to escape rooms. You guys are really doing the most. You guys are rocking it. The entire (laughs) escape room uh, economy is great. Definitely go to your local one if you can. It's a lot of fun. 
but why am I watching eight minutes of somebody doing like beginners escape rooms on television? Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> it's not riveting content. Like Natalie being like, oh, the shelves were in a weird way. I could not imagine not immediately assuming those were the numbers. I'm sorry. If they give you something, you ex- like it, it probably is something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fun to do. Not the most fun to watch, I would say. Yeah, it's like Play-Doh. Like, fun to play with, not to eat or watch. <laughs> Spencer, what do you make of the Edge of Extinction content at this point? Hey, uh, I, I just thought it was a lot. I thought it was fun to watch while it was happening. But looking back on it, I don't think it's going to be something that I will have fond memories of. Just wasted time, I think. But I, I do have just a wild burning question. When Natalie came back down from the top and you had... um. You had Danny and Amber still at the bottom. They were like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm never going back up there. What are they assuming is going to just happen with this advantage? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like she when she gets it, she screams. And they're like on an island. So, like, you would think she could hear that people could hear that anyway. And, yeah, it's like, are you, are Amber and Danny never going back up there to give it another try? Are they never going to check on it? Like, <laughs> there's never? just a lot of... A lot of confusing questions I have about what's going on out there and where were where were Amber and Danny when Natalie went back up there. I just I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I understand if they were like, I'm never, ever going back up there ever again today, but maybe I'll try again tomorrow. But that's not what they said. They said we're never going back there. So maybe Natalie just has a advantage that no one will ever know about because they just don't want to go up the stairs again. If so, like further cementing my case from last week that Danny is the worst. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, I think the award for the least useful uh, part of time of the episode goes to Danny being a fisherman for some reason. Fisher person. Um, why was that on our TV? Did not need to see Danny fishing. She's the provider on edge. Which, I mean, bodes really well for her if we're to take the last edification no. to account. I mean, I have more thoughts on it. Uh, when we get to Danny and the edge, but like, uh, it feels more like a conclusion to our story than sort of the Chris Underwood rebirth of a story to me, but absolutely. Um, but overall, like, I think all this edge of extinction challenge content, etc., is kind of, to me, the ultimate problem with kind of, I don't care if survivor reinvents itself. I, I do think that edge of extinction is an egregious example that hampers its games, game design. But separately, if it didn't, if they just came back at the merge, if they did something to fix it, the real problem with it is that we only have 43 minutes every week, 44 minutes sometimes, to cram in as much content as possible. And because of things like this, we're left with way fewer character scenes. We effectively got one scene in this entire episode that was just about two characters interacting with no grander, um, like... It wasn't. It, it doesn't satisfy immediately. It's not be explaining how Ethan goes home. It's not explaining how Sarah gets an extra vote, etc. Mm-hmm. And that's Tony and the shark and Sandra and the shark, uh, baby Sandra or baby shark Sandra or whatever. Baby Sandra, do 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 do. Um, and it, to me, it just makes me think. Oh, those are probably pretty important. Thank God they're on the show. They made time to find a character moment, but it is kind of sad that that's the only one we had time for Mm -hmm. the edge of uh, the edge of extinction just seems to be eating up all of the winning tribes content that could be being brought to the episode. Yep. 
Right. And I mean, there's always the argument of, oh, it's we get to see your favorite characters um, all season instead of just for a bit. And I think for the season is actually an all-star season where your real favorites are staying in so far. So instead of this very, like, uh, these aren't your, like, high, complex winners going to Edge of Extinction. So we have this very mellow edge and it's not something i want to return to it we got very lucky in the original edge of extinction with having reem as this explosive catalyst for everyone to bounce off to Mm -hmm. um right now we have like maybe natalie but they're not really in disagreement at any time so right like i remember even like flashback to old edge of extinction which still sucked you had like Reem yelling at people. There's fighting. Like Chris had to come like deal with the conflict in between them. And that's when it's just like, is anybody tuning in every week to see Danny's escapades on Edification? <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I'd way rather see Sandra or Rob or somebody. I honestly want to see what Nick is doing now that he's still in the game, or like more of what how Kim is coping and all sorts of stuff. But you now we have to devote to. Some of the edge of extinction stuff i would say the answer is i think answer number one is no edge of extinction please um number two is extend the episode if edge of extinction is involved but even still like i don't want i want more of that time to be used for uh camp content instead of edge of extinction yeah like when people leave like you look at reddit you look at uh the survivor community look at the facebook page whatever the one thing that unifies everybody is that they remember the ladder scene. They remember the shark. They are fond on the shark scene. No one's like, wow, I love... Like, Sure, some people are out there being like, I loved seeing Natalie count the shells on this necklace that they gave her. But way more people are like, wow, Tony crafting a ladder and using it to integrate himself. That was really fun. And that's what survivors should learn is actually less is a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everybody's tuning into the season and the reason it was so excited wasn't just because hey this is another survivor season it's your favorite survivor winners of all time competing against each other who you haven't seen in forever or you know in a couple seasons even and instead they're focusing on hey look at this new twist that we have yeah exactly that said i do think it's easy to dunk a little bit on this episode but i do think that with the mandate that they had of explain why the person who went home went home, I think they absolutely nailed it. This episode reminded me a lot of Jeremy's boot in David vs. Goliath, the one where Angelina really rises up to spot to the spotlight and is like, no, I'm going to save Natalie Cole. This really gave me a lot of those upsides with Michelle kind of playing that role. I thought Michelle and Jeremy were a really, really fun strategic duo. I loved heel villain Adam, like, finally like officially fully chewing the scenery he's saying things like uh boss and rob should learn to play a little bit more like me or playing with winners is really hard or is it uh (laughs) adam was really owning his role as a villain in this episode and i think the fact that this was a comeuppance episode for him his his plans crumble out of his hands he tries to pick up the rope and like really become an elite player and he can't do it he's making the same mistakes last time was fantastic content and the the tribal was awesome all like in spite of it they were able to make really good episodes a, a really good episode right it's just a shame that you know they could do so much more if they had more time to do that yeah i think that's the thing is we have these characters and we're getting the best of them in some ways so we are getting okay episodes but it does feel like 
something is missing. Like there could be so much more and we're not getting it. So yeah, this is amazing survivor, but this could be, this could be like heroes versus villains. Right. Your survivor where we're actually getting exciting votes too. Like these aren't boring votes. These aren't boring players at all. They're not playing safe. They're playing quite bold and we're just not getting to see the whole picture like we did in seasons like Heroes for Villains. And that's the real sad part. Mm-hmm. No one's going to be coming back being like on Reddit in five years being like out for blood. That's the episode to come back to if you want to know what Survivor's all about. Yep. Uh, anything else generally on this episode? Are we ready to move on to themes and stories? Let's move here to themes and stories. Okay. Uh, so the first one uh, is Building Bridges by building tools or utility as relationships. We've seen this with Tony and the ladder, uh, Yule and his um, breadfruit attaining tool. I don't know if that has an official name. Um, And Wendell talked about it in the premiere. Uh, I wanted to bring it back up because I feel like Tony and the shark is sort of just a rehash of Tony and the ladder where it's Tony does something very useful and it sort of cements him as someone who is building relationships and looks really good amidst them. Um, Sandra's in this too, with her talking about how she wants to, on her fifth time out here, finally do something sort of useful to camp, like be the provider, I guess. And so she's talking about that too. Um, Yeah, you either retire a two-time winner or you yourself turn into an Aussie apparently but yeah a hundred percent I feel like at this point it's very clear that if this isn't this is either the theme of the season like we're gonna look back as this is the story of how the winner managed to build bridges by building things and downplaying their threat level to create bonds or it's like maybe specifically Tony's theme it could be one of the two but I feel like it's so ever present here that it probably just is a general season theme that good players do this. Another good example is Sarah, including Tony in on her little mission when she's like, I need recon Um, as a, as a police officer, you got to bring him back up really like the idea that um, forces that the game pushes on you can be used to craft uh, relationships that help you further in the game being a thing that good players do which i 100 agree with and i actually really like this theme because it opens the door for fun camp scenes that actually have strategic back right that sort of bleeds into our advantages being a social economy idea where it's just stuff happening outside of the circle of the game per se and how that leeches back into the circle of the game exactly you're right like it, it kind of is the i guess defining principle of fire tokens right is the idea that there actually is a social capital being fire tokens in this case, quite literally, but also like if you build something and people really like you for it, even if it's like a joke or it's a funny dance or it's a ladder that doesn't work, it, it endears you to people and that gives you more influence in the game. Yeah. You can see that almost at the final tribal council where someone is like, look at how I use my fire tokens. But then someone else is talking about how generally they used camp life to their advantage In better words than I said it, but that's, yeah, sort of their alternative. And I mean, too. if you if we go to the new tribal council final tribal format, they, like Jeff says, like the outplay portion is the forces that survivor puts on you. You know, like that's that's mm-hmm. what they see the outplay portion as. So I feel like this is a theme that borrows itself very heavily from that. But yeah, I think we're gonna see the winner completely attach themselves to this theme. Spencer, um, how do you think that this is kind of relating to the season as a whole? The whole currency thing. Yeah. So with 
I have concerns about what it's going to do for the season only because I think that I don't, I don't entirely see where it's going to go because I think you have a lot, like basically mm, 75% of the advantages that we're, that we've seen so far or going to see are going to be coming from the edge of extinction and they're being purchased with these fire tokens. But the only way that we're seeing the fire tokens be earned by players who have not been voted out yet is by them being bequeathed. And, you know, is there going to be some way for these players still in the game to earn the fire tokens? Can you find them during a challenge? Can you find them around camp? Are they going to be hidden at a merge feast? You know, when are they going to run out? There's a finite amount of tokens still in the game. And when is that going to start affecting the people who are on the island who are trying to sell these advantages to the people who are still in the game? I actually um, think that's a pretty astute observation is I think it's a giant missed opportunity that there seems to be no way to get these things other than hope your ally gets voted out. In a that weird way, case, it kind of incentivizes case, bad gameplay. Right, and in that case, there's only one token being exchanged per game. You're not adding anything new to the players who are still in the game. It's just moving one token for, to another person. Mm-hmm. Well, there are those two tokens that act as the eyes for the immunity idol. That, <laughs> yeah, can anyone remove that's them? true. That is true. No, I think I saw, I think Nick Wilson on Twitter was like, no, they, they're just there for decoration. Ah, oh, dang. I know. Yeah, you're right. It's sort of, I think, um, sort of thinking about how this twist was implemented, it's hard to nail this sort of economy thing. I think adding it to a survivor game, especially on the first try. So yeah, there's this weird one to like literally one token transactions all throughout the game. It's it's unlikely that anyone is going to get voted out with more than one token, just odds wise. Like it can happen, sure, but it's just not going like not happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you see people like, and not only are we only seeing one token shift from a person who's being voted out to somebody who's in the game, but every episode that it's been available, one token has left to go to the edge of extinction. Mm-hmm. So right. you're you're effectively you're losing one person per game. You're losing you know a. Uh, a contestant but you're also losing one fire token so now you have people with zero you know you have um Alexandra has zero tokens um sarah has zero tokens and then you have rob who has two and jeremy who has two yeah because no, i think there is inherently a problem mm-hmm. there, there is inherently a problem right when you have a situation where there's a mechanic in play that no one actually understands and there's no reasonably reasonable way to understand what they could future represent. Um, if you're Sarah and you get offered an extra vote, you're like, well, I don't know if that's a bad deal or not because I don't know what one fire token is worth. Is one fire token worth my game or will there be more? Or like, there's no, like they don't know what their currency is worth. They have like, you find a coin on the ground and maybe it's a, it's like in a different language you don't understand. Maybe in Europe it's worth a hundred dollars. Maybe it's worth, a penny you don't understand so you don't understand how to actually invest or spend that in a wise way i don't think you can even hold the winners accountable for like if sarah loses this game because she gets an offer for an idol or like a super idol or something for two tokens and she only has one because she spent it on this extra vote i can't hold that against her right because the rules weren't defined yeah they're not even sure how they're getting these offers i mean they're assuming it's coming from the edge but they don't know for sure they definitely don't know that it's from a specific player on the edge um yeah it's just and then another thing is sure natalie is hoarding all these tokens and maybe she'll use it on an advantage to get back into the game but like what if she doesn't then she just has more tokens that aren't going to go anywhere else 
and it's even more that's been sucked out of the economy and making it smaller so right it's like what if she just buys uh like a, like i don't know how many how many tokens a pizza was but i saw on the list like what if it's three tokens and next episode she just spends all these tokens she's earned on a, on a pizza and you're like um okay like that's a <laughs> ridiculous uh situation but and regardless i don't think she can bring them back into the game if she if yeah she gets back in i think like she has to use them on the edge at some point or another oh. if she can because like right i mean doesn't that seem I like that, doesn't that seem like question. something you know you can't bring them from the game to the edge can you bring them from the edge to the game i thought you could but yeah we don't know at this point <laughs> so yeah. so it's like okay she uses them as a challenge advantage it was shown during the last Edge of Extinction that the challenge advantage doesn't always help. She uses them, and now they're just gone, and she's out of the game. Yep. Possibly. I mean, it's still out of the game if she uses them for the advantage. Like, because they don't get used back to, uh, like, people still in the game. Yeah, I almost think that it's a missed opportunity to not have, like, have the, if you're going to do this interaction, have fire tokens be the way you get back in. Like, the person with the most goes back in instead of, Oh, they help you in a challenge you might just be terrible at. I feel like it's just a terrible, like not a good transaction. If it's like, oh, you were able to utilize the Edge of Extinction to its full potential, therefore you're back in the game. Then I can actually give credit to the players instead of just, oh, they found a thing. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. And then then they lost the challenge. And then it could, but then it just becomes like, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but then it just becomes, okay, you were here first. You had the first opportunity to get one. That could just mean you could just win the rest of them. But um, True. not win the rest of them, just because you're there the longest, you have the most opportunity. Somebody who gets voted out right before the uh, right before the chance to come back in could only get one. So it's mm-hmm. just, there, there's, a, there's not, I don't see a perfect way of using these fire tokens on the edge because like if Natalie, you know, Natalie has three now, mm-hmm. Yep. If she uses them and then still doesn't get to come back into the game, then it, that's the end of that storyline. Like all of this time that we spent on the edge for Natalie finding these tokens is just not finding the tokens, finding the advantages, getting the tokens is just all for naught. Yep. That's the real problem, right? Is so much of this is inherently unnecessary to the game that I and the viewing public of the United States and the rest of the world have kept the show on for 40 years. Like, I, did, I didn't show up to watch a bunch of things that don't matter. But that's good right. for this. We'll move here to the idea of... This is, I guess, just a quick story. I think the idea of a legitimate strategy being forfeit this battle to win the war, it's a quote we got from Tyson, was pretty clearly on display here with uh, Rob, kind of, as the antithesis of this. Uh, Rob, I thought, had maybe the quote of the episode quotation story. Uh, to my uh, English teacher quotation of the episode when he's like, Adam, does he even know who I am? This guy says he's watched every episode. He he's knows how I play. Why would he like, I'm supposed to just sit by it and let poverty go and be okay with it. Does he not realize who I am? I thought was kind of the uh, cornerstone of the philosophy of this episode where Adam's like, Hey, us new schoolers, we, you should be okay with letting your partner go because, um, you know, it's it's a fast-moving game. And Rob's like, screw that. I like poverty. I'm going to do what I can to keep her. And this fun little contrast between them, mm-hmm. Adam decides he's going to tell Boston Rob the truth. Uh, in the past, we've seen truth be a weapon for good in this season. Uh, with Rob going to Danny and being like, okay, she's truthful, so I'll keep her in the game even if she's targeting me. But I think that turns an interesting way where 
this time when Adam tells the truth, but it's from a position of like he's including someone on a plan he shouldn't, it turns out very badly for him because immediately after we see Boss and Rob go to Michelle and Jeremy and be like, I know the truth. I'm going to tell you exactly what I know. If you want to fight me, I'll fight you. But can we just get out Adam? You want to get out Adam? He leaked your plan. I thought that was a captivating, fascinating uh, exploration of survivor strategy. And it was all surrounded with this theme of truthfulness being a more useful tool than deception. And that maybe truthfulness doesn't have a role in deception. What do you make of that, Joe? Yeah, I think that whole sort of scene between... Uh, Rob and Michelle and Jeremy is very interesting because you have this point where Rob is like, Adam just told me the truth and I hate it. So I'm going to do something about it. But then he goes to Michelle and Jeremy and tells them what he knows. And I think it's not so explicit as what we just saw between Adam and Rob, but they're sort of like, Oh, what plan? Like, we don't know. Like, and they're like, Oh, that's not the plan. Uh, maybe we'll get out Adam instead. And so I think it's an interesting sort of, it shows how you should maybe take things. Because I think in that moment, Michelle and Jeremy sort of reacted as though they didn't know the plan. And then they went back and said, now what do we do with this information? Mm -hmm. Instead of just using your truth to sort of try to make inroads, sort of take in information, don't fill your own beans, and then go back and plan. So yeah, and of course, the other scene where Adam does this, it mirrors it almost perfectly at the beginning of the episode, when he tells Ethan he's going to target Parvati. And Ethan is also like, no, that's my number one ally. So that doesn't make me happy. Mm -hmm. See that Ethan, or I'm sorry, not Ethan, Adam was absolutely making the right call and wanting to target Parvati because... You know, I've seen a lot of commentary on this episode of saying, oh, if you want to weaken Rob, why not just take out Rob? Parvati was the one who's connecting that alliance together. You know, Rob says, that's my closest ally. Ethan says, that's my closest ally. Ethan gets voted out and bequeaths his fire token to Parvati. She was absolutely the right call for him to go for. But um, yeah, and it's regardless of whether regardless of whether you want to keep your relationships with Rob and Ethan. You don't go and t say to somebody, hey, just so you know, we're voting out your closest ally. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's a good point. I, I do think it's very interesting. I think the theme here is doing a complicated thing where it's right in the line of like, being too truthful can be bad, but make sure, but it can also be a, a, a tool for greatness. And specifically that being authentic and actually telling your true intentions and not trying to use it to trick people is a really good thing to do. This also correlates to the theme, the mini kind of theme inside of it, which is uh, goofiness as a mask for deception or uh, be like comedy as a power, as a way to bond you to people. Obviously, we see this with Tony and the shark um, and generally his behavior in general. I think especially the Sarah Tony moment where it's like, I need backup is related here where it's. The idea that just like if you're laughing and you're um, kind of creating like a influence of comedy, people just trust you a little bit more. And in a way, it's being more truthful about how you really are. I think that's a theme here in this season and was in this episode in a pretty major way. Mm -hmm. That comedy and comic relief does a very good job of almost forcing a others to let their guard down on you not necessarily hey yeah. i trust this person but hey i'm not worried about this person they're just a goofball yeah i think it's about doing it like we were sort of mentioning earlier authentically 
because it, there is still this parallel of Tony versus Ben, where Tony is doing it in a way, even though he is strategic about it, it's being portrayed or people are seeing it as very legitimate and they are lowering their guard. Whereas Ben sort of has this goofy demeanor, which he isn't exactly using strategically, but people are seeing through it, through it and thinking of him as shadier because of it. So Exactly. Yeah, I think this season is definitely wanting us to look at uh, moments of goofiness and moments of comic relief. I think that's a great way to put it um, and seeing how they can be used to better your place in the game. Absolutely. Um, an additional theme here, I think, is, and this might be like one of the primary themes here overall, <laughs> is the idea of how you're... Create, using your past to create your present. In this episode, we get Sarah detailing her relationship with Tony and Kageon. I think that's really important. We see uh, Adam detailing his gameplay style and moves for Shit X. Both these seasons get mentioned by name in the episode. I think that's not a coincidence. And I think most importantly, we get Adam failing to recover from the mistakes he made in his original season. I think Adam made many mistakes in his original season, but the one everyone remembers is him going to Taylor and being too honest about roping him into a plan and trying to like use the fact that he knows the plan to get power over Taylor and Taylor completely freaks out, goes against Adam, tries to target him. uh, And Adam almost gets voted out at the merge. We literally see the exact same thing happen in this episode. Um, I can't believe he tried this again. It was genuinely shocking that Adam is going to Ethan again, just like he did to Taylor. Maybe the player that he sees most like Taylor, to be honest, like he's detached from the game. He's not uh, a modern strategic player, quote unquote. And he's he's trying to use his power of knowing the plan to manipulate Ethan. It's the same mistake he made last time. And he pays the exact same way again. Um, well, I think, yeah. And what's interesting is he definitely doesn't think of it as a mistake because he talks about how he did it on Millennials versus Gen X and how it worked. Mm-hmm. So he thinks of what he that what he's doing is a good move. And if even if for some reason it was in Millennials versus Gen X, the edit here is definitely portraying it as not the case. Yeah, this is the theme of there's only so many times you can make like run into a wall before people question kind of thing like you can't make this like the exact same mistake twice is a little egregious mm-hmm. um but yeah and like extinction obviously plays a big role in this idea of it's kind of it's inception right so i definitely think this is something to keep watching out for um as we move forward yeah especially with ethan going there because yeah, literally be in the after card he talks about how he's already been to the edge of extinction so Definitely links between there. And I think, at least from what I've seen so far, Ethan isn't necessarily unlikely as maybe a returnee or something. So, he I mean, I don't think anyone was expecting him to go this early. So he'll be someone actually to really focus on and see, is he here forever or is there more to the story? Agreed. Which brings us to the idea of alliances as David from. I don't think this is one of the major themes at all, but I think this is like a little uh, motif almost that yeah, plays out throughout. interesting that it came back up. I honestly was thinking, oh yeah, just something, a weird coincidence in the first episode. We didn't talk about it last week because there wasn't anything to talk about. But here in this episode, Michelle talks about alliances as literal like dating. You're looking for the people you really vibe with. And um, 
hoping to work with them. So yeah, interesting, yep. I guess, motif, not a theme. If we're, if we are going back to English class this episode. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing is, and it's clearly tied to Michelle, right? Like she, I wouldn't be surprised if this pops up later in the game. If this is just kind of how she relates to survivor strategy. Mm-hmm. So that's something. Um, And the last one is the idea of that. Jeff Probst says things will be hard, but at the end of the day, you're all winners. You belong. Clearly quite important in this episode, right? Mm, explain. I'm trying to think of how, because I know I, I noted it, but I can't remember the moment. So, yeah. So. so to me, I'm basically thinking predominantly this was one Sandra being like, you know what? This is my, re- like my, my retirement, right? Ah, this is yes. my survivor retirement. I'm okay. No matter how I place, I just want to show that I actually, I could do the things that everyone says I can't. That's what Sandra sees this game as. Um, Michelle kind of is like, you know what? I was in a strategic force in my first game. And in this one, I just got left out of the vote. Two weeks ago, we got that content. Here we're seeing the payoff to that, where she has now proven she did get herself out of the uh, out of the rut. She's mm-hmm. in a good spot. She's out of the gutter. And now arguably has the most control on her tribe. That's a really fascinating turn for her. Um, She's the only one who really said Ethan's name, right? And so mm-hmm. she gets a lot of credit here. For sure. And I guess it's also, in a way, Danny's story. Her catching the fish is like, oh, yeah, at least I proved myself to myself. So uh, <laughs> you're right. But uh. um, Spencer, did you have anything to add on these last few themes? Um, yeah, actually, I thought that the the theme of, you know, alliances is dating and prom and whatever i thought that was actually very interesting to be tied to michelle because if you look back at uh her original season in Rong, there was actually a lot of talk you know it was brains brawn and beauty there was a lot of talk from um actually nick from that season about like oh mm-hmm. you know who are we gonna who are we gonna go home with are we gonna go home with the valedictorian or who are we gonna go to prom with are we gonna go to prom with the valedictorian or the beauty queen and you know michelle's group was the beauty queens and the others were the valedictorians and so it's interesting to see Michelle in the point of being this beauty queen again, where people now want to work with her more. You know, she went yeah. from being she went from being the outcast by proxy in the first in the first episode, and now she's back to where she originally was and has returned to her roots as the beauty queen. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's actually an excellent excellent point. Where yeah, like we are seeing Michelle kind of in a similar but different role in her original season and. A lot of her content in that season two was like, as a bartender, I know how to navigate relationships. And we're seeing like a more like edgy Michelle this time. Mm-hmm. That is an interesting point that I did not remember from Kaurong. So yeah, very interesting that it's a almost a direct callback. I mean, yeah. Michelle is a very interesting person to discuss after this episode. So we'll get to her uh, quite a bit down the line. But yeah, in this season, I, I guess just to piggyback off of the how to use present how how the past creates your present they've been going really hard with the flashbacks with the meta commentary with the references i can't imagine how hard this is to follow for new watchers but like (laughs) it's clear that they're paying attention to this stuff right you have to give them credit that they probably are thinking about the stuff the people editing the show the narrative producers all that are probably actually thinking about um what it means to have uh the characters in that role so i think it's really interesting and with that, we'll move here to the edge of extinction. Um, just like the show, it's hogging up a good amount of our uh, podcast time, but it's a fourth of the show at this point. Unfortunately, you can't just be like, oh, ignore all the edge of extinction content because 
Natalie Anderson has the most confessionals this season, uh, despite getting voted out first in an almost invisible edit in her boot episode. Would not have anticipated. Right. And who knows how much of that is because she's getting all the advantages and such. Mm. Um, maybe once she gets some competition, uh, we'll see if that lightens up. But right now, it's not... I don't think she has a really strong returnee edit, but like it's just almost by the way she's being presented, it seems like the likely outcome at this point. And I think yeah. that, I think that her, <clears throat> her opportunity of returning varies based on who we see come back because Danny and Amber are very old school players who don't go on advantage hunts, who don't have the advantage first brain where she does. Mm-hmm. She has this advantage first brain where she has to do these escape room puzzles and go on these treasure hunts. And so that's why I think she's succeeding over the others and I think with Ethan there, yeah, he did talk about like his wife was hiding immunity idols all over their house, but like I don't think he showed when he was before he was voted out that he is that person who's going to go out and find these advantages and do the work that's necessary and maybe even have the acumen to be capable of doing it. So I think we could see Natalie just kind of steamroll through these advantages here. The interesting thing to me is that despite Natalie getting a lot of content, like just in like raw sentences. Natalie speaks a lot, but her content is really not that complex at all. It's literally just like, I found this thing. We don't even really get an explanation of why she picks these people or anything. I think there's a really good chance that she's just getting all this content because she finds it all. Yeah. If anything, I might actually put Danny as a more, I might actually put her as the least likely returnee of this. Really? Yeah. See, I, I mean, think, I mean, should we move on to Danny? Yeah, let's move uh, to Danny. I mean, it's interesting that she keeps up her Chris Underwood mirroring, but I do think this just felt more like a uh, resolution rather than striking up Danny as the provider of the Edge of Extinction in the same way Chris was. Just yeah, feels like right. she's very proud of what she did. And so, yeah, I would not be surprised if we don't get much more from Danny if she doesn't come back. And yeah, I would say she is the lowest of the three. You know what? You're right. I think Amber's more likely Danny is less because unless Danny's story picks up again, if if she gets a lot of content next episode, I think she rises quite a bit. But you're right. This is kind of reminiscent of Kelly Wentworth in Edge of Extinction when it's just like the she's sitting there in the uh, sunset and she's like, you know what? I'm really glad I came back, but mm-hmm. maybe I'll come back, but maybe I won't. And you just know she's never going to come up on the TV show ever again. And she never comes up on the TV show ever again. Maybe that is Danny in episode. I mean, they could surprise me and keep giving her content like this. And then I'd consider it more. But that's not the feeling I got from here. Yeah. And then Amber is fine. You know, ultimately, she's she's good, except for the fact that her story could be helping Rob. Yeah, I'm obviously still really high on Amber. I think this was appropriate content. Like we did get to see her at least trying to look for whatever the clue was, which, like, rude of them to put numbers on a box and not have that. Like, that's bad escape room design uh, to have these red herrings. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm still high on Amber. Um, I have moved her back to number three. <laughs> um, on my that high still. Uh, but I, th- I still think it, out of the people in this game, it makes a certain, a certain sense. I think. Yeah, I'd have Amber still higher than a lot of people, but not nearly as high as you. Like, maybe, like, number eight. Like, that seems like a good spot for Amber. Where hmm. if, if you told me Amber wins this season, I wouldn't be like, no way! But I wouldn't be like, you know, I'm in the middle somewhere. 
and mostly it's that she could pick up still. I don't mm-hmm. think it's a bad episode that she wasn't there. She did look kind of foolish here in this uh, thing. And that's the real problem is that Edge of Extinction doesn't really have um, interpersonal conflict. So unless it's necessary, it doesn't really get shown. Mm-hmm. And then you're just left in like looking for anything that could be a resolution to their story. And Amber doesn't have that yet. So she has she has uh, some potential chance. Right. So any thoughts on Edge of Extinction before we move to people actually playing the game? Cool. We'll move here to the Decal tribe where, I mean, honestly, they were not in this episode much, right? Like Purple Decal. Yeah. I, well, the, go the ahead, only, um, yeah, sorry, Joe. The only content that I thought was really noteworthy to come out of the Decal tribe was the Tyson to Yule, Yule to Sandra interaction where Tyson kind of basically told Yule, hey, you know, I think that Sandra's somebody that we've got to keep an eye on. We've got to start to target her. And then um, Yule kind of entertains the idea a little bit. He he mulls it over. But then once Sandra has proven to be a provider, old school Yule comes in and says, well, it would be uh, I'm, I'm obligated to keep Sandra around here because she she's a provider. So I have to tell her the plan that Tyson was coming up with to uh, to take her out. And that really seemed like the only strategic development that came from that tribe. Tyson, mm-hmm. unfortunately, continuing to dig himself a hole. Yeah. And I've seen some discussion about, like, is Decal really still the complex tribe or does it hold up here? I I do want to say I think complex tribe theory holds up. It has held up as a thing until the season it doesn't. And we don't know if it doesn't until the winner is announced, you know? So, like, whether or not we know it's being effective here, we won't know till the end. But I think you can't argue that Decal is still the tribe that we're supposed to focus on we have so many interrelationships going on that i think yeah i think it's the complex tribe and i actually think it's not close despite them mostly not being here this episode like we just know literally how everybody feels about each other and that you literally can't say about the other tribe even though they were three tribals and like we're like sorry denise and jeremy are close apparently because they left adam out of the vote we didn't know that um stuff like that right but we'll start here with Kim, who, wow, was not on this episode, right? Like, did she talk? I I don't believe so. I believe she got zero sentences. Yeah, probably. I remember her in the challenge. She was holding that ladder at one point. I mean, good work, but that was about it. Um, so I have been infamously high on the Kim train, and I'm afraid it's crashed. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I said, Kim sort of needed this constant, like scraping from the bottom story throughout until she gets out of her situation. And that's not what she got. And not only that, it doesn't even seem like she's the one in danger anymore. It's like Tyson is in danger now and we need to worry about him. So yeah, Kim was just totally blown to the wayside. I don't think it's great that Denise had her idol returned to her in a flashback, but we didn't touch on Kim and Sophie's idol stuff at all. So that's not good. Yeah, very low on Kim now. Yeah, Kim might be my last at this point where I agree. Last week she was hanging on to be Kim versus the world and Kim somehow comes out on top. But like, sorry, she's no longer the target. It's between Tyson and Sandra. And Mm -hmm. we get no content to Kim being like, yay, or anything. Terrible. I'm really shocked at that. I think it's a missed opportunity completely. And I think we probably would have gotten it if not for all the Edge of Extinction content, which sucks. But yeah, like Kim, this is good for her longevity, I think. I think she's probably in the game a long time. Right. I just think my case last week where I kind of compared her to Troy Zan a little bit, 
might be true. I think she might just be a perennial underdog with no, and like her story is she just doesn't click with anybody at all whatsoever and could go at any point, basically. Like she could go super far or not, but she doesn't really have a story other than no one likes her. Mm-hmm. Um, when people are asked a lot about who the most dominant winners of all time were, a lot of people say, you know, Kim from One World, Rob from Redemption Island, and you're seeing both of them have to play completely different games from those two seasons. Kim is playing from the bottom. She's having to, you know, people aren't really wanting to work with her. Rob, we had to, we saw him have to like scramble this week, but for the first time in who knows how long. But Kim, I agree with you. I, I just don't think it bodes well for her. Um, for her winner potential. But I do think that the lack of content means that she's not going anywhere anytime soon. Right. Also, she'll probably swap with Sophie. Eh, I don't think that's a guarantee. I think her story is tied to Sophie anyway. Hmm. Because she still doesn't have that half idol back as far as we know. Like Sophie's just holding on to it. Yeah. yeah I feel I like think... At least that pays off. Kim won't go without that paying off. And Yeah. I'm just curious how that will pan out because it didn't get touched on at all in this episode. Mm-hmm. So yeah, not great for Kim. Not great for Kim. On to Nick. Ah! Just a uh, bastion of excitement here at the beginning of the call. Um, Nick is my last place easily. Like, true. This was not, <laughs> not anything. It's disappointing still. I want more from Nick. Um, yeah, it's just, we talked about last episode how they might not edit their winner super perfectly, like coronation style. Um, in regards to Michelle being not the best at it, I think Nick is too far down to win. Yeah, like, I agree. It's pretty miserable. Yeah, Nick is... I mean, considering Joe picked Kim and I picked Nick to win, I don't think either of us are winning that bet. <laughs> um, so I can now confidently uh, decimate Nick's winning chances here, where, like, I'm sorry, the only content you can find for him in three episodes was Fire Tokens Exist and... Ah, um, <laughs> like he's so dead. He's to me, he actually probably goes pretty far because he's in that four, and they made sure to mention his name like four times in that right. group in episode one. So mm-hmm. I think he's a goat. I, th- I think losing finalists is actually not a bad prediction for Nick. I feel like he goes far. He's an important member of the game, and like postseason retrospectives will be like, oh, Nick actually played really, really well, or was a super important member. I don't know why he wasn't on the TV show. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think Nick is actually playing very well. And it's part of that, like, not being seen thing that is hurting him here. I think he's playing sort of under the radar, and it's yeah. not contributing to the big moments that are happening on the call. Yeah, if you don't win, you're playing under the radar, and you're in the tribe that wins all the time. Like, that's the winning solution to not uh, get any content. What's- yeah, I think if we're drawing Game Changers analogs, I see Kim more of as, like, an Aubrey from Game Changers, I think. Whereas Nick is the Troy Zan. See, I would actually say Nick could be the Andrea. And then Kim's, oh, true. Probably, Kim's yeah. probably the Troy Zan. Where Andrea got like no content till the merge. And then was like a visible character. It's like, oh, actually, she's a big threat to win. That's fair. It's kind of where I see uh, Nick ending up. But who knows? Uh, Spencer, got any thoughts on Nick? I feel bad for him. I thought he was such a fun character in, um, in David versus Goliath. And, you know, he was exciting to have around. You know, we had his like, oh, you know, I'm not going to win. I'm going to die trying and I'm going to name my alliances and we're going to have fun editing tricks around my air guitar. And we just don't see him anymore. It's like, what happened between Ghost Island? I'm sorry. Oh, geez. Sorry. What happened between David versus Goliath and Winners at War where the editors are just like, yeah, you know, Nick's not fun anymore. Yeah. The fascinating thing there is, as we pointed out, 
Nick and David versus Goliath is literally proportionally to the season the most visible winner of all time, except for Richard Hatch and um, Boston Rob. Like, he got so many confessionals in that season. He was all over the place. Like, he was the one of, I guess Christian was the main character, but Nick was actually more visible. And here he's now the most invisible. Such a bizarre pendulum swing that (laughs) I just never would have anticipated, I guess. I guess he really isn't that interesting. Maybe to justify his win, they had to overhype him, or maybe he's just not playing as hard. Here's a hot take. I think the editors maybe don't think Nick is interesting, but I bet people would love him if he were on the screen more. Yeah. Like, in this season especially. Like, I I know they're getting the most with, like, their Tony scenes right now, but I think Nick... Nick is sort of, like, I think has the Sophie potential that we're seeing this season. Where, like, Sophie is interesting. Like, I know this is news to a lot of people, but, like, we always knew this, but now people are seeing it. I think Nick has that same upside. It's just that maybe Nick isn't winning or something. I don't know. Yeah, I 100% agree. Yep. Uh, Which, that's, I feel like, good for Nick. Like, poor Nick. Sorry, buddy, you're not getting two million bucks. But, you know, neither are we. So you have like a million and probably still some of that left, hopefully. If, yeah, you, have good, if you have a good financial uh, advisor, you have some of that. Please have some of that left. Yeah, he like he he's probably like what the wealthiest on this cash just on pure time basis alone. <laughs> like hmm. I guess like unless they invested it. I don't know. I guess there's <laughs> an argument that Amber or him are the wealthiest, depending on how frugal they are. Right. Which brings us here to Sandra, who I thought had a fun episode. I, I really like this, like, retirement tour Sandra. Mm-hmm. It's, I think we're in the, like, period of Sandra as a character. It really is sort of hearkening back to Game Changers, where they're just showing her, like, best moments with no sort of concern to her as someone who could be winning this game. which. I think this is a good position for like, I want to see Sandra in her best moments, but not necessarily sort of uh, all the time, I guess. If Yeah. Agreed. Like I think a fairly easy premise. Most of the audience can take going into season 40 winners at war is Sandra probably is not winning. Like you don't need to tell with the story, Sandra, the same story as you do with a regular survivor contestant, because like she isn't right. She, she is notably a unicorn on 40 seasons of survivor. She's the only one who's won twice. Um, like I do actually think the right way to handle it is like, look guys, she's not winning, but look, she is, she's Sandra. She is special. Mm-hmm. She's, um, and she's doing something different this season that she's never really done before. You know, we've known that Sandra in the past, seasons that she's competed on that she hasn't really been a provider she hasn't competed in challenges i think in fact she has now tied the record for most challenges set out over the course of a survivor career um but she's now making herself useful to her tribe which is the first thing which is the first time i've ever seen her do that um by like saying hey i'm gonna set up a fishing net and i'm gonna be a um observative and say hey this this little waiting pool is is good to catch some fish. And I think like that's going to be very good to keep her around, especially with the like bunch of old school players in there who really do value a player like that. Mm-hmm. And it's being reinforced, right? Like she says, oh, I'm going to do this thing to provide for the tribe. And there's a way where that can go where she's actually sort of fumbling around and not doing anything. But Yule is literally saying Tyson came to me with this plan to get out Sandra, but Sandra is providing. So therefore 
I'm flipping it on Tyson. I mean, he did say that Tyson's still not. Like, you know, he's like, ah, but Tyson needs to go. But I guess Sandra's an option, too. Like, I don't think it's as great for Sandra. But Well, I think we'll get to Yule. But the way it's represented, I think, is he considers Sandra first and then has this moment, which is almost Tony's moment. So it's weird. But then it flips back. And he seems like 100% with Sandra at that point. True. It seemed like that that moment seemed like it was a setup for either um, Tyson or Sandra's boots, and it's just a matter of whose it's going to be. You know, is it going going to be Tyson's because Sandra's a threat, or is it going to be Sandra's because Tyson was correct and that she's, you know, she needs to go? I don't think it's actually that hard to parse this story, at least. This is me, arrogant Dan, going to make his take here. Sandra is idling Tyson out of this game next round, and it's not, like, there's no other option, Sandra. like. Yule's going to weigh between the two, settle on Sandra. Sandra idles Tyson out. That's what we're going to see. Um, that's my prediction um, for Sandra Shark doo 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 doo's demise slash <laughs> ability to take it Tyson. Mm-hmm. That brings us to Officer Sarah, who I don't know. I think Sarah, I want to know what you guys think, but I'm going to make my little pitch here. Might be making the best case of all these people on this cast. Of how great of casting she is. She was so fun in this episode. She was so fun last week. I think this was really a like a coming out party a little bit for Sarah as she's in the preseason. She knows she's probably not winning this season. She's gonna try, but this time she's gonna be trying to be a fun character, just like a fun character who plays well, but like does it in a fun way as a as a character first. And I'm I really, really like fun, goofy Sarah. Cause like this mission was fun. Sure, when you really think about it, like, we know they're not going to think it's a survivor player breaking into their camp. Even if it is, what are they going to do? They're going to, what, body check Sarah? No, that's not going to yeah, happen. Like, what is what is the play? If someone wakes up and discovers Sarah, it's like, what happens from then on? They find the <laughs> advantage. Like, if, so, if Ben wakes up and he sees Sarah snooping through the torches, can Ben then say, like... Let me go check. <laughs> My guess is no. I mean, what happens if like what happens also if Sarah doesn't find them and then somebody goes to pick up their torch next time and there's a vote steal in there? <laughs> See, <laughs> the unfortunate truth though is that there's producers on the island, both making a ruckus and also putting things in torches. And if people don't find them, taking them out of torches. Um, that's the thing is we already know from Game Changers that Officer Sarah is a master of reading the fine print of vote, making sure that vote steal passes don't work as they should. We already know she has all that paperwork down uh, when she screwed over Sari. So basically, I just think like this mission was a little lame, but Sarah made it as interesting as humanly possible. And I think the worst production decision of all time might be clearly not letting Tony go with her. She clearly oh, right. thought she clearly thought he would be allowed to go with her. And then they said no. And then they did the whole like, oh, we'll put ash on your face because they couldn't think of anything else. Right. <laughs> Again, you get more you get more comic relief out of that moment of mm-hmm. Sarah attempting to spit into the pile of ash and a coconut and it just flying up all over her face. I think like that shows like a lot of good like, development between their relationship and hopefully for longevity between the two of them. Yeah, it's definitely being built up as a very important relationship. I know, sort of last episode, they had their scene, and I kind of wondered if it was just sort of the show addressing old bonds that they hadn't got to yet. But I think they are definitely someone important to watch, especially as they don't seem to be in danger on this tribe. Yeah, I think Sarah Tony are going far. I think, 
again, this is a terrible episode if you're Sarah's bank account because it's another it's another instance where if one of them is going to win, it's going to be Tony, and mm-hmm. that's terrible for Sarah's chances. But it's really good for her as a character. I think she's she was really fun this week. She's really fun last week. I'm a fan. I love her in Game Changers. I actually think she played one of the best games of all time in Game Changers. But this season, clearly, she's probably not going to be the winner. But that's not to say that she's not like a fun character, and I'm glad she is. Similar to Sandra. Mm-hmm. I don't have any other thoughts here other than like, yeah, like, I don't know. It, her story here was all production manufactured, right? Like it was necessary. Like right. there's no parallel universe where this gets cut probably unless she just like gets voted out next without like the extra vote mattering. But yeah. Yeah. I think I would almost be considering Sarah more, but that premiere was very bad and she still seems very auxiliary to everything like tony is a much more likely winner than her just this was all necessary to the mechanics of the game just not good for sarah agreed and that brings us i think to one of the more interesting questions here of this in sophie last week she confessed she's playing like the devil this season this week i guess the devil just doesn't exist um (laughs) where was sophie i was shocked she wasn't on this episode but that said I don't think it's terrible for her chances. Yeah. So, like, what I've seen for commentary is that this was the quote-unquote infinite words, a necessary cooldown for Sophie. And I'm here to be grouchy and say <laughs> this was not a cooldown. Like, yeah, she wasn't in this episode compared to the ones before where she had been, but it wasn't like those are big episodes for and she needed to cool down. It was just called to go to tribal council and there's nothing really to expound on Sophie, so we don't here so even then we didn't hear much from her but she was in scenes like we saw her talking i think to yule and tyson maybe at the water well early on um she was around and so i think i wouldn't classify it as a necessary cooldown per se but i don't think it hurts sophie's chances at all it totally makes sense within the plot line of the story for her to have this quiet moment yeah i 100 percent agree i think We've frequently raged against the idea of the quote-unquote well-needed right? Like, mm-hmm. throw back to our first season when Dom, in episode three or four or whatever, was straight up invisible, and we're like, mm, that's a real bad sign. Um, but yeah, like, this one actually isn't bad, and I don't think that cooldowns are a good thing for a winner at all, actually. I think they're quite bad, if you don't check in it at least a little bit. But, like, it's <laughs> Sophie. Um, She's not exactly... I think she's really fun, but she's not Boston Rob. She's not poverty. You don't need to check in with her necessarily. And additionally, you're right. Like the mechanics of the episode weren't super necessary for her to be there. And I think most importantly, her tribe didn't go. And she was super visible last week in a way that um, like episode one was all about. Look, Sophie's hiding behind Yule. Mm-hmm. Episode two is look, she's actually very competent. And she actually maybe is, is, is even better than Yule. And then this week was Yule kind of coming back up into the spotlight. So it's uh, kind of reinforcing that she's hiding behind him. I think that works 100%. Right. I think my one concern is that there wasn't any any sort of notice of the idol between Kim and Sophie, but it's not huge. And there just maybe wasn't time for it. <laughs> yeah, it needs to pay off soon. Like if That's the thing. If Kim gets voted out next week or the week after that, and it's directly related to Sophie not handing it back, that doesn't matter to me here. If Kim gets voted out at the final seven because of that, I'm a little bit more skeptical of why it's not here. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, like, I think Sophie's a fascinating character here. 
I think she remains my number one winner contender, but it's really close because this wasn't, I think she had a mediocre episode and my number two actually had a very good episode. So I'm in disarray there, but to me, they, they just are splitting a lot of the win equity. Uh, Spencer, yeah. do you have any thoughts on Sophie in this episode and what it means for her future? Could just mimic exactly what you guys said. I, I pretty much think that Sophie is going to be making it very, very deep into this game. Um, I don't think that she's going to be a winner. Um, I think that she is going to get, um, I think that she's going to make it very, very far, fall a little bit short because people are going to catch on to what a beautiful game that she's been playing. Um, but I think that this this edit is good for her longevity. Yeah, that's probably fair. And if anything, this, this week kind of leads more credence to the idea that she is maybe a like a finalist or like finale boot, something like that, then a winner. I just think that, again, the fact that it's Sophie Clark and it's that she's getting this kind of content, not in this episode, but in general, is what speaks really well for her. Mm-hmm. I would say, I think if there were a wider field of winners, Sophie would fall would have fallen from my number one. But I honestly don't think anyone, any of my top contenders had a good episode here. So... Mm. I mean, we'll get. I think the next person is sort of the yeah uh, focal that's the point. <laughs> so I think that's an interesting thing. Is somehow in a season of all winners, I really think that there's like five people that have good edits and like like maybe ten that have okay edits and like okay. I don't think anyone has like a, like just a solid edit. You know, like right. there's a lot of bad ones. There's a lot of. I guess. And there's a lot of great edits. But right. it's, and it's strange too, because you have the people who are receiving the best edits, not necessarily the most content, but the best edits are on a tribe that's almost invisible. Yeah. hundred mm. percent agree with that. Um, so I guess let's just, let's just break the ice here. Um, I'm actually going to opt to go second here. So <laughs> Joe, what are, you're clearly indicating you believe that Tony had a bad episode this week. I really want to hear. Okay. That. I don't think Tony had a bad episode. So this is maybe taking some of the air out of the balloon. (laughs) But I think it's my sort of continued issue with Tony is that this still feels like main character content as opposed to winner content. Like, I think it looks good. Like, I could see both ways. Like, this isn't... They're never really going to, like, super negative Tony or showing faults or anything, which is, like... I'm convincing myself in what I'm saying right now. He's still on my contenders list. Um, But I also think if this is the content he's bringing, it's these big moments. Like, of course, they're going to show it. And of course, it looks really great. Um, I will say his interactions with Sarah have been good. It shows he has a clear pair there. He is the more likely to win out of those two. But I just, it it doesn't feel just on point. Like it could just be Tony is a big character as opposed to Tony is a nerd. Do you think that has to do with just like his content mostly being around character moments rather than like actual gameplay? Because that's I mean, what we're that, about Tony. Yeah, that could be it. Is I guess I'm sort of seeing it in a Christian Hubicki sense of like, these are big character moments. He's the biggest sort of character we can see here. But to me, I get that sense that something is off. Like it doesn't, it either feels like it's wholly the winner. It's wholly taking the step to be like, Tony is so good. Or it's just a main character who doesn't actually win. Yeah, I think that's not a bad point and is absolutely the negative. To Tony's side here, where so much of his win equity to me 
and spoiler alert, he is my front runner. I think I think I'm ready to say that Tony's the most likely to win. I was gonna um, say I would be shocked that like you thought Tony had a really good episode and then not boost him over Sophie. It's super close for me, but I'm gonna put him a little bit higher. He does have more equity to be like the finale boot or losing finalist than Sophie. Like he has more of that upside, but I also think he has more winner upside. And it's for the simple reason that okay, yeah, I think you're right. Like the ladder gets shown no matter what. That's no matter like that's a lock in. I don't think it gets as developed as it does. It could be a quick flash. It could be, um, haha, look at Sophie, or it could be ha, look at Tony, or it could be everyone making fun of him. But it's not. It's he sets up. He's gonna downplay how smart he is by being silly. Uh, like pull his arms down for the sucker punch, and then mm-hmm. we see that happen every week. We see, um, him make the make the ladder, and everyone's like, oh, well, look how goofy he is. Followed by a very crucial strategic strategy session with sarah this week we see him roped in ah look the goofy shark man and then people are like oh wow i'm starting to take him a little bit less seriously and now another crucial strategy session i don't think the pairing with the strategy happens if he isn't an actual important strategic character which takes him out of the realm of like a keith nail or something that just are like a funny character i think he actually is well above that because he does get this like weird strategic content connected to it and almost as a way to justify the uh, bombastic nature of him, right? Um, he told us at the start, like, he's on house arrest. He has to play a different way. So, and I also think that an underreported story, I think, in, this, in the story of Survivor, is that comedy often does lend itself to being a winner. Uh, listen to our intro. Uh, Fabio talks about the monkeys, right? Like, the monkeys having sex. Like, that's, uh, that's like, Todd has all kinds of these funny moments. Winners are often quite funny. Um, and I think, cause it's a quick way to make you remember somebody. I think maybe the best example that I always bring up when I try to describe what winners look like compared to other people is Mike Holloway in survivor 30, when he eats a scorpion, pukes it up and then gets a confessional about how that's good for his strategic game. Like that's what winners look like. And Tony gets that weird, like does something really stupid, like almost kills himself on a ladder. And it's like, look, that's how he bonds with Sarah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's Tony in his original season too, right? He was Mm. tinged more negatively, but he had moments like llama, llama talking or other stuff. So yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think this is out of the realm of Tony as a character. And I feel like I'm on this trajectory every week where I sort of watch the episode. I'm like, I can read this right. Tony's not winning. And I come here and I get convinced because it is stuff like the sort of Fabio way of being like, this is my strategy. And then you see all these examples of it playing out, especially when it's not necessarily, it doesn't manifest as a conventional um, survivor strategy. Right. You Mm -hmm. have sort of Fabio being goofy. And that is at least portrayed to us as his strategy here. Tony had that sort of confessional and it's able to give all of his scenes that we're seeing a different sort of read. For sure. Based still my number four. (laughs) Number four. I could not imagine having two people who aren't Sophie above him, but I'm interested to see who it is. Well, Amber is one. Oh, true. Okay, Amber. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. So, any thoughts on Tony before we move on? I guess my prediction would be, I'll give him my longevity 
award. I always try to do this every episode of like the person who's going the furthest, not necessarily winning. I think Tony makes like the final eight at least. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he does feel uh, like up there in terms of characters with longevity, but I'm not... I don't know. It's a close battle. There's a lot of different avenues here for people who feel like they're going far. Actually, honestly, I might I might walk that back a little bit because he could totally boot or something like that. <laughs> um, really? Because I, I, I can't see Tony going going earlier than like tenth because I don't think he's had. I, I don't think his relationships could lead to him being like swap screwed in any type of way. Because I think he swaps with one or two people that still like him and then maybe one person, you know, like in worst case scenarios, he's got at least one or two people that are in his corner on a swap. True. And then when you get to the merge, Tony hasn't painted a target on himself. People like Tony. They enjoy having him around this season. He's not just going to be some consensus merge boot. It could be some crazy tribal council. But I still think I, I don't think that he's done enough at this point to say like oh yeah you know he could be you know he i'm worried for him i don't think anybody i don't think any indications of that have come up fine you've convinced me he's (laughs) back to my most likely to go far again it's between him and like a couple other people but i would say he he stands out and is at it as opposed to those other people like i think we talked about how kim has kim has longevity and nick have longevity those are very different edits from tony i'm thinking of like a denise on the other tribe has the same sort of longevity for me but it's obviously way different um shocker uh yeah you're right because like there's two types of longevity like they're there as a, a force and then there's they're the they're the invisible person yeah we don't have enough of their story to understand why they're leaving yes exactly tony's definitely not that one um but yeah that's all i have on tony let's move here to tyson so i made the hot take maybe cold take i'm not sure earlier that tyson's probably getting idled out by sandra and probably pretty soon maybe prepare for the nuclear take here where i do believe that tyson is my third most likely winner despite that i think that's almost a certainty um i think if there's an edge of extinction returning winner it's gonna be tyson um his gameplay is not set up well at all but he gets weird personal content he gets um constant reminders that he's funny and he's clever and people really like him but he just is getting voted out is basically the story that they're telling us um and the alternative is the person that we know has a limited time idol mm-hmm. i can't imagine he has lo- any longevity but i also think that means he has a ton of longevity. Again, he's a professional <laughs> athlete. Um, we've been reminded of that. I think he's going to do really well. I think he's a, he's a very high chance to come back from Edge of Extinction. Yeah, I think that's the thing, right? Is I very much agree with you that this is sort of being led up almost, I would say, gently as like we're supposed to um, like understand that this is what's going to happen. It's like almost like Sandra idling out Tyson is parents telling their kids they're getting a divorce and then they're going to do it. And so you're preparing them for it. <laughs> And then, but yeah, so I think that, and then I also have Tyson as my number two. So it's like, <laughs> what is, <laughs> what is happening? But like, I think that, I don't think it's going to be Chris Underwood come back at the last moment in a flashy way. I think he probably, if he's winning, he comes back at merge and sort of reintegrates. Agreed. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree with you on that one. I think when you look at the people who are on edge of extinction, you look at the people who may end up on edge of extinction before the merge happens. If Tyson is on that list, I think he probably stands the best shot out of any in a challenge. Um, mm-hmm. If the last Edge of Extinction returning challenges have been any indication of that, um, you know, the, the challenges that the 
the Joe Anglums, the Chris Underwoods, the Aussies are going to really succeed at. And I think that Tyson best fits that bill. 100% agree. And I also think his story, despite being very front and center, has been divorced from strategy. Um, in episode one, we get him making fire. We get people being like, well, you're so cool and funny. I forgot how great and like sarcastic you are. Every episode, we get a funny zinger from him. This week, it was, well, the best way to kill a shark is to get it on land. Funny line. Um, we're constantly just reminded he's funny. We're reminded he loves his family. He has all the make. He has like the winner edit hype package, but without any relationships and without any connection to the strategic game, which says to me, yeah, you're right. He's probably getting put it out. Yeah, I think. That is the one thing that stands out about Tyson is that we know he has the propensity to be this negative character, but he's instead being extremely rootable in a positive way. It's as though it's someone you want to come back into the game. It really is all just building up the story of like Tyson gets voted out and comes back. Yeah. And maybe that is just like a pre-merge to like merge episode story and then Tyson will fall off after that. But that's very much what it feels like. Agreed. hundred percent. And yeah, I think that like the other, I guess the other possibility he has is maybe it's flounders on initial tribe flourishes on swap. Like if they don't go again, that could be his story. Like that is a survivor trope, but edge of extinction inherently complicates things where what is used to be the struggles on initial tribe and finds a new life at the swap could be gets really struggles on the initial tribe gets voted out and finds a new life at the merge or at the final five. Mm -hmm. It really is unlike other survivor edits. So you have to read it in a different way. So he could, if he has an amazing swap episode, still be a winner contender, but it's one of those two things. It's he requires new life breathed into him. Mm -hmm. Cool. Now I think two, I guess two episodes from the premiere episode one, I listed Wendell as I believe my second winner contender. (laughs) And I think we've moved into an interesting spot where I think, again, just like in Ghost Island, Mr. Wendell had an amazing premiere and then terrible, god-awful episodes that follow it. And I don't know what to make of Wendell other than he is probably going really far and maybe can win. He's that weird one because he is boring. We've established that in the other weeks. Um, I don't know what they're doing with this guy. He is like on the threshold for me. Like, I can see it, but he's, like, one up from can't no chance of winning. Like, there's just not enough content in some ways, but you're right. He had a really good premiere. And last time he had a really good premiere, I doubted him and I was wrong. So, yeah, it's just a, like, I think maybe if we don't, we won't get a swap next episode, probably, unless the preview is really throwing us off. Um, but... I think if he keeps getting episodes like this where he's kind of very in the background, I might lower and lower on him. But yeah, there's that chance that a swap episode comes and he comes back out and it's good again. So I don't know. I think we've been set up for a big game for Wendell. Maybe not a winning game, maybe not, you know, main character game, but I think he's going to play an integral part of this season no matter what he does. I think going off one of the themes that we have been talking about, And um, just even this episode, he is building relationships by not building utilities, right? Like he wants to focus, he wants to focus on his relationships and not be seen as like this huge asset around camp because he doesn't want to be seen as this huge threat. Um, And I think that's, there's more to that story. I don't think that's just going to go away with, Mm -hmm. with an invisible edit 
And I actually really, even despite his almost complete lack of content over the past couple episodes, I still really like Wendell's um, possibility for this long run in the game as, you know, a big character. Yeah, this might be a stupid take, and tell me if I'm being stupid, but I think Wendell has a lot of opportunity to still be one of our main characters, despite being, like, despite literally being, I would classify Invisible last week and pretty damn close to Invisible this week. Again, I use the Invisible edit. Some people don't. Um, I think, despite that, he still is a top candidate to be a character when you think back on this season, you're like, oh, wow, that was the season that Wendell did really well. Um, his premiere was so good, and mm. we've seen in Ghost Island they're willing to let this guy slip invisibility. He's one of the least visible male winners of all time, and like he set up what we kind of classified as maybe the major story of the season, and then just kind of vanished. And his tribe hasn't gone to tribal really. Like I think there's a lot of things working on his side. Also, side note: how wonderful is it to be Wendell, who both times he's played, he's just been in the tribe that just wins a bunch. <laughs> like the obvious complex wins a bunch tribe like must be lucky um mm-hmm. like poor denise <laughs> like <laughs> um like I, i'm sure denise just hates this guy but like that's the thing is despite his lack of visibility i actually think he's a good candidate to be one of the most visible characters yeah i think we're talking about uh game changers analogs i think he might be the andrea he could come out at the merge and start True. making maybe sort of an andrea sierra don thomas merger yeah because like i don't know like he could be a returnee he could be a lot of things but we were established like he has a story and a lot of people don't like i think that's an interesting thing is he's working on not being the builder guy but he's got a big role and it's helping him and he's in the majority he's in that four like there's a lot of things going for him other than just like the pure visibility counts Mm -hmm. but yeah that's wendell yeah it's interesting that we're sort of all like sort of high on him i think a lot of people are very and they're sort of grouping him with the Kings and the Knicks and being out of the story. But I think there's something there, at least character-wise. He, yeah, he's distinct from them in that he actually has a good premiere. Like his, To me, like when I look at the edit, and like we've always kind of talked about this, I view it as like it's a house, right? Like you need a good foundation to be able to build on it. He has that. It's like like he built a basement and like no one showed up to build the rest of the house yet. But that doesn't mean that someone's not going to show up to build it one day. You right. know what? The Wendell building metaphor is very meta. Yeah. That's very good. Um, so yeah, that brings us to Yule, who whoever, whichever production member, really went to bat to bring you on this season. Like, the dude's obviously a big deal. I'm so sure it was a tough sell. Thank you. Because he's awesome on this season. I thought he was really fun. I love that he's like, I don't know if we've ever seen a game bot at the level of Yule before, where he literally is just thinking about the game. Like, he is talking about game theory and he's talking about math that's how he plays the game he wants reliable people that think rationally i don't know if we've ever actually had a player like this so adamant and getting content in the episodes about just like being a game bot and i think that's awesome i think he also could win the problem is sophie exists but like yule's the top candidate to be like the next survivor icon right like he's gonna be the hmm i don't know <laughs> i would say if yule wasn't like we all know like he's like an executive at facebook or google or something at this point it was facebook it might be google now i think like if it wasn't for that and maybe he 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 sees himself a little bit above survivor is yule the most likely to get a 3.0 like a season after this um hmm. 
I I don't know. Maybe I came to this episode and I wasn't like as interested in Yule. Like I don't know. He didn't really stick out to me that good as even like a character. Like you know, like that might be character preference differences there. But hey, I I'm incredibly high on Yule. He is my he's my winner pick. Um, mm. because I I just think the kind of the kind of content that Yule's receiving is just incredibly positive and it's very reminiscent of old school survivor and i know it's silly to say that after three straight old school survivor players have been voted out um but i think that he's doing it really well and his tribe is winning and so i don't see him um i can't see him going home anytime soon especially with the kind of relationships that he's built and he's shown that he he is the boston rob he is what boston rob wants to be for the decal tribe um everybody's coming to yule strategizing with yule they think Yule's their closest ally. They Everything needs to go through him. And that's a fantastic spot to be in, regardless of who you are, especially with the way that Yule's handling it, where he is being modest about it and not wanting to just kind of blow everything up. I agree with everything you said, except for the winner part, because I think Yule is our pick to be the protagonist of the season. I think he is our narrator. I think he's the guy that you for reliable reads and we're gonna be really really sad when he gets voted at the final eight because we're so sure he's gonna win then i'm sure like in four weeks from now quote us now we're all gonna be like yule is so obviously winning like he's front and center and we're gonna be like what sophie blindsided him no way the problem inherently with yule is in episode one he was set up as a shield to sophie and i think that gives sophie longevity over him Unless they're doing something really clever. Don't think they are. Um, Yule's our protagonist, and I think he's going to carry us through this season. He'll go way further than we expect, but not quite make it, I think. He's our Christian Hubicki. He's our Rick Devins. I just don't think he's our winner. Yule's going to make it. My my hot take for Yule is that if he doesn't win, he makes it further. He has a better placement than any pre-Heroes versus Villains winner. He's going to be he's going to be the highest placing here pre-Heroes versus Villains winner on this season. Hmm. I think, I'm trying to think through the list there, but I, I think that's probably really solid. I don't know, I was sort of sitting back and, because Yule is a complicated one, right? I think I said last episode, he feels like Michael Yurk, like a big character, but like the pieces just don't quite add up for me. And I don't know, I'm still thinking about it as something like, am I like missing the forest for the trees in this case, where it is sort of a simpler story, Yule is the winner, and I'm just sort of in denial about it or something. I don't know. I still, I'm still not convinced, but I think you're right that the possibility is there for Yule to be almost more of a straightforward winner. I'd love but, if he won. Like to me, he's like number six. It's just, there's a number of people. Like the biggest problem is that Sophie exists. It's the same problem that Dominic had in Go Silent, that Wendell exists. Mm-hmm. They I usually say- don't overhype the people below them. If the person above them wins, right? I would say my issue with this episode in particular is he. There's this incredibly quick turnaround where he is like, uh, "Tyson told me to target Sandra, and maybe that's something to consider." And then stuff happens, and he gets another confessional that's like, "Sandra's actually really good for the tribe. I need to target Tyson." And so mm-hmm. he somehow contradicts himself without any stakes being involved. Like neither of them got voted out. They didn't go to tribal council. 
So, I mean, maybe that is just sort of his uh, purpose as someone who really thinks things out and is sort of this very strategic force on DeKal. But for me, it sort of really resonated as a contradiction. Agreed. I, I don't think we'd see that in our winner. 100%. And to piggyback on that point, I still think the most damning thing is obviously Sophie exists, but that he's been weirdly put against Tony this whole time. Like, with to- like his uh, really pathetic breadfruit getter failing and then tony's crazy ladder succeeding i feel like tony like your story might be being competent and playing the game optimally didn't work in a game full of chaos with edge of extinction um i think yule is our top candidate to get screwed out of the game hmm. yule did let tony know about the shark though true um i think yule and tony are going to have a very dynamic relationship of parallels because i think their game i'm sorry not parallels um they're going to oppositely parallel each other if that makes sense um like yule's game is incredibly consistent and calculated and rational where tony's game is the opposite where he is scatterbrained he's off the walls and he's chaotic and i think that we're going to i think that one of the stories of the season is going to be which strategy works better between these two is it the yule strategy or the tony strategy thousand percent agree i actually think that is gonna be one of their stories one of them is gonna come out on top in a very obvious and pitted against each other way i think either yule gets voted up by tony or tony gets voted i'm not 100 percent sure which but i think the other one then gets a lot of win equity on the other end the only mm-hmm. reason i would put yule below tony as a winner is that Tony's alliance is Sarah. Sarah's not winning this game. Yule's alliance is Sophie. Sophie could win this game, which kind of complicates the math. But you're right. I think this is a battle kind of between Yule and Tony. And they're just philosophically pitted against each other. At the end of the season, we're going to be like, oh, it was a philosophical battle and chaos or order and game theory one. And I'm not sure 100% much. I think that one of them is going to get voted out, not by the other. No, or not screwed out by the other, but I think they're going to be voted out in spite of the other person. I think Tony is going to get voted out because Yule tries to make some wild calculated decision that doesn't work in this new chaotic age of Survivor. Or the exact opposite thing happens, where Yule is planning this very like calculated move, and Tony goes crazy and screws the whole thing up. And then Yule gets voted out because of it. I think that's what's going to happen. It's I think they're going to work together, and I think it's just going to be a very like comedic duo of uh, opposing strategies. I'm trying to think back to another Tony versus Gamebot season, how like Spencer was and Kagi on, but I think Spencer is just more weird, like more aggressive than Yule, so it's not a perfect comparison, but just something to consider, sort of, because Tony was still very chaotic in a different way in Kagi on, and. Spencer was very much this by the books game bot force. Uh, the thing being, Spencer was never in power throughout Kagion, whereas Yule seems to have all of it at this point. So, just I don't know, trying to see if there's any parallels there. And yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think that kind of agree with this honestly. Like Yule could be the Spencer, you're right. I do think he's a little over doggy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. That's my thoughts on you. Let's move here to the Selle tribe, which like I almost wish that they just lost all the challenges and Amber was still in the game because the story of Denise just being a curse would have been really, really funny. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Especially considering they only won that challenge because Jeremy like 
If not for like Jeremy Fluke being a god at ring toss, this is like up there with Matt Singh. Like it's really kind of funny. Um, but this drive is a lot of fun. It's a shame that the winner probably isn't. But I do think there's a lot of fun stories here, and I love that we're starting with Adam. I have a lot of takes on Adam here. I'm curious what you think. Uh, you two think about Adam's story here? I would have loved if this episode title was just Adam ruins everything. Um, (laughs) just because the Adam, the Adam scenario is just him trying to do everything and nothing and it still working despite his, like it working, uh, it works not in the way that he intends to. And he takes like blowback for it. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think this was a terrible episode for Adam. Uh, I can't give it an F because somehow he's still, <laughs> I can't give it an F because he's still in the game. And I didn't think that walking into when they were going into tribal council. I think it was interesting seeing sort of the online discussion around Adam, because I think at least up until this episode and maybe through it, people were kind of high on Adam. I mean, I guess I didn't, I wasn't completely against him. But there are definitely problems from the start. And I think a lot of people are sort of thinking, oh, well, Adam had that weird sort of moment of negativity in Millennials versus Gen X. Therefore, he is sort of the, he has this inconsistency that he can, um, that can explain his movements here. And then that's why he's still someone to consider as a winner. I just think at this point, it's too... (laughs) It's too, like, like we said, Adam is super edgy. I think he may have lost the edginess award this episode, but he is obviously a villain now. And I, like, like last season, I didn't think Missy of Missy as a, like, straightly portrayed villain, per se. But Adam is definitely getting that. Like, he is someone who is playing too hard and manipulative and, yeah, very much being presented as a villain. I don't think he has a high chance of winning. <laughs> Joe, I agree with everything you said, except for at the start, you said that you weren't completely against him. I remember an episode when you said he was dead oh, last. Yeah, he um, was dead last, but at that point, I hadn't eliminated anyone. Okay, and then in episode two, he was like the bottom of people I hadn't eliminated. Yeah, so, I mean, I think all season we've been, both of us have been pretty anti-Adam. Like, episode one, he was pretty villainy, but like, the seeds were there. Episode two, they grew a little bit. This episode, he is... So obviously the villain. I'm and the weird thing to me is a lot of people I know and like are usually like people I like. I'm like, oh yeah, I agree with what they say about reading the edit or picking Adam. I'm like, he's so the villain and not in a way that he was in Million vs. Gen X and not the way villains are edited to win. They're always justified. Like Tony and Kagiyan is a villain who won, and he did dumb stuff that was villainous and mean for no reason. But then he got, like, dumb confessionals explaining why that was great for his game or whatever. Mm-hmm. Adam doesn't get that. Adam gets everyone making fun of him and him not being able to put the torch in right and Ben having to come do it for him. That said, so Adam is not winning this game. He's 0% chance of winning. This is <laughs> not similar to Millennials vs. Gen X. Other than that, he's playing the early game very badly in Millennials vs. Gen X. If you remember... He was probably getting voted out if there was not a swap. Like, Mm. that's one thing that's true. That's one comparison that wasn't edited that way. He wasn't edited like, oh, Adam's screwed. It was edited as he's flipping on Figgy. This one is edited as he's probably screwed. So not a great comparison. And the Taylor moment was at the merge. And this is at the final, what, 17? Mm -hmm. Way worse to be publicly exposed as a snake at the final 17 than it is one episode at the merch. Um, I just don't think they're, they're really that similar. Sure, he that season, 
But he was also masked, and this is the thing I'm surprised that people aren't catching on to, is Adam's story in Millennials Version X was a truly mixed season where he would get, like, over-the-top positive, positive five, and then, like, over-the-top negative, and then over-the-top positive, positive five. They would use his overwhelming positivity about the really, truly once-in-a-universe, once-in-a-generation story that he was actually dealing with in that season. Like, mm-hmm. That's why they were able to give him more negativity because he had this ridiculous positive story in the background that he was dealing with that justified his negativity. We literally haven't mentioned anything about his life at all in this season. He's an unrepentant villain and hot take. Adam is the best character on this season. It's not even funny. If you listen to our preseason show, you know, I did not expect this. I've always <laughs> had a negative thought of Adam of like, I saw who he was. I saw he was really smarmy and I'm like, I'm not buying it when you tell me that he's actually like this nice guy because he's really rough around the edges. I'm sure he's a nice guy in real life or whatever, but Survivor brings out this really smarmy, overconfident, like condescending version of Adam that we saw in full display this episode. And I was living for it. I don't remember the last time other than like Bradley and Ghost Island that I've been wanting someone to get voted out so bad. Like I was sitting there being like, oh my God, I hope Adam gets voted out. And that's how I know he's a brilliant character. He's an excellent heel and villain. Um, and I, like, I hope he lasts a long time. I don't think he will. I actually think his clock's running out, but I hope he's here till the end. Like, I would love that because he's delivering in a way that none of, uh, not none of these other characters are, but in a way that a lot of them aren't where his negative side is showing up, but in a way that's captivating and interesting. Um, I love how he's hamming it up to confessionals where he is literally being like Boston Rob should play more like me. Um, (laughs) Like that's an insane take. I love what he's doing. He knows it. Like, you know, like this guy loves survivor. He knows he's being hammy and I really appreciate him for that. Adams Adams game just seems very delusional to me. Um, I, I think he's been a ton of fun to watch. And I think like, he's like you said, I completely agree with you. He's an amazing character, the best on this season. But I think that he, up until this vote, I think he believed that he was playing amazing and that every decision that he was making was perfect. And I think that he thought he was being a hero. I think he felt like he was the shepherd leading his group of sheep who just like didn't understand how to play this game. Meanwhile, he is the exact opposite of that, where he's, in fact, being led to the slaughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting back to Millennials versus Gen X and the comparisons against that, I think when... Because I think I actually watched Millennials versus Gen X after it aired and I knew Adam was the winner. I was totally shocked by that premiere where he sort of was this very uh, almost boring narrator against a cast of like other interesting people. And I think he'd stayed that way for a while. Like, yes, he had his positivity with his story and also his negative moments, but those did not come till the merge. I think this Adam that we're being given, which is this negative strategic force from the very get-go is like possibly what's the most like against him at this point yeah like that's (laughs) the thing that i'm surprised at like i'm i don't know if i want to say i'm disappointed in the community for not catching how like you're right like that's actually the most notable thing about adam's early game in malaya for gen x is he was a bland, boring narrator. He didn't really say anything of value until episode four, which we're not even at yet. Like, he was literally a bland narrator, like, middle of the road, nothing. 
until episode four, where then he was CPP P5. He was double positive five, where he then really reveals to us what he's dealing with, that his mom has cancer and he's dealing with that in the game. We didn't hear about that till episode five. That was the unconventionalness of his edit was sure there was the negativity at the merge, but that was something, but it was the fact that he was like a bland narrator turned hyper positive, turned look like a douchebag turned hyper positive again. Like that's the weird arc of it. It wasn't like he was a jerk from the start and then was the winner. Like that's not what his story was. And I feel like there's been a lot of discourse about that. This is the exact same edit he got in my version X. He was a giant misread of the situation. He's just villainous in this one. Um, I don't even know if a super hyper positive episode five could save him here. Um, yeah, it's like, maybe you can see he comes to the light and is like, oh, I just got played. Like, I need to change things. But like, I, I, ugh. it would take a lot of work and like some sort of real redemption to make me think that was the play. Because I mm-hmm. think then you just don't present him as negatively from the get go. And I think, I mean, another huge thing about what lowers Adam for me and Denise is that they just totally like voted apart this episode. Yeah. Like if you had told me before the episode aired that Adam and Denise would not be voting the same way this episode, like not in a strategic split the vote sense either, like I would have been shocked. Yeah. I'm sorry, but they're never, ever, ever, ever showing the winner go like who's like a scraggly dude going up to somebody and comparing themselves to Malcolm. That's never making air. <laughs> um, unless it's aired with a conventional that's like, I know this is silly, but maybe she'll agree with me or whatever. Um, right. As well as not being able to put a torch in a hole. That's not happening. Um, some winners, sure, they are starting to look more wrong. They're starting to look more jaded, whatever. They're not going to be shown like incapable of doing basic tasks. That's one thing they will edit out. Um, or at least show funny or not just like sad. <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. Adam gets like villain and like he's a cocky heel villain, like like cowardice villain where he like he kind of like can't quite do basic things. And that's why he's bitter. And additionally, the things that have been highlighted is positive. So Ben in both episodes or both episodes before, prior to this mentioned he wants Adam so he can maneuver through the game because Adam, what does he do? He watches a lot of Survivor, right? That's a that's kind of a key core here is that Adam sees a lot of Survivor. He knows who these people are. Maybe even better than they do. In this episode, or actually we'll pair both. So last week, Ben loves Adam. He's a big reason that um, Adam stays in the loop. Adam just doesn't like Ben. Um, we don't really hear why. Um, Adam just doesn't want to work with Ben. That, I think that's really bad for Adam. Additionally, Boston Rob digs into Adam's knowledge of the game. He's like, okay, this guy says he's seen all the season. This guy says he's seen every episode, but he still doesn't know how I play. I'm never going to be okay with poverty going. Um, Like, you're not going to just, like, like, like that was an attack on Adam's knowledge of the game, which is the only positive thing he's got so far. Like, Adam is so drying dead. But again, he's delivering in every way, except for making $2 million. Mm-hmm. I think it is that sort of, the fact that he is there and he's present, that is making me not put him at the very, very bottom with your, like, nicks and stuff. But it it's not adding up. There are yeah. far more better horses to pick than Adam. <laughs> That's the thing is, like, I feel like like so many people picked Missy last season around the time. And it's the same thing, right? It's, well, they're just probably not going to show the winner at this veracity. <laughs> 
Like, mm-hmm. so that's probably good for Adam. Um, thank God he's making this a lot more entertaining because he's really he's really delivered there. Mm-hmm. We'll move to somebody else who I think actually has been a very good character this season is Ben Dreebergen. What do you guys think of Ben? Uh, I've been lower on Ben uh, throughout these first few weeks but now i'm starting to see it i think he's sort of elevating maybe to like the tony level of is this a big character or is there something here like we've talked about how he's not been directly sort of contradicted last episode was all about how he's making mistakes and he i don't think he's necessarily learning from them but they're being acknowledged at the very least and i think in this episode, he wasn't integral. I mean, obviously, he was integral to the vote numbers-wise, but he wasn't shown as someone making the moves. But we still got a lot of content from him. Like, oh, I don't want to work with Boston Rob. Oh, Adam is trying to play this game. And he gets to vote in a way that supports both of those, even though they're almost opposite positions. So... Yeah, I'm a bit higher on Ben. I mean, not on my contenders list, but someone I have more of an eye on, I would say. This episode was really positive for Ben in my eyes. Um, And for one very small reason, the scene following the challenge where Sele came back to camp and, um, you know, they had their they had their standoff where nobody was talking. Nobody wanted to get up and move. Jeremy Mm -hmm. said that he knew as soon as he got up that Ben was going to come and follow him and talk with him. That shows that we already knew that Ben was in with that alliance, but that shows how much faith Jeremy has in Ben. And I think if we're agreeing that – I know we haven't gotten there yet, but if if we're understanding that Jeremy isn't going anywhere anytime soon, then I think that that bodes really, really well for Ben. And I think that his content has been positive. helping Adam with the torch and his little like dancing scenes around camp um, and the theme of comic relief or motif or whatever, whatever it was when we were talking about it. Um, I didn't do well in English. They, um, I think they're setting this up for just, you know, very positive Ben content, which is strange. Yeah. I actually agree with everything you're saying. I think Adam or sorry, Ben is a pretty decent winner contender. Honestly, if he was on to call, he might be, pretty close to my number one the problem is he's on the wrong tribe um like his dynamics are weird because they aren't really flushed out that well but if he was on the other tribe i think he rises quite a bit the interesting thing to me with ben is i think his edit is everything that all the adam truthers say adam's edit is where they have this negativity but it's weirdly justified and like ben's made more mis- obvious mistakes than anybody in this season but they're always they're always justified like it's like at the end of the day, he has his eyes set on the prize. That's the thing that you remember. I think Ben probably is a continues to be a main character in this season for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And again, it's probably not making two million bucks, but I wouldn't be surprised if he makes it like pretty dang close to the finale. Ben, yeah. lo- ben loses to Tyson in a fire making challenge. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Like Ben has the character, he has the game acumen for the most part. Like, and I think most interestingly, as much as Adam's been pitted against Boston Rob, I feel like he's been shown kind of childish almost. Whereas Ben is like, oh, I can't get enough. I, can't, I want Boston Rob off this island. But I also know I can't target him right now because it's a bad move. Right. He seems to like check Boston Rob being like, I know he's a problem, but I, I, I'll deal with it when I get to it. Parvati is a smarter choice right now. Mm-hmm. Or whatnot. So yeah, I think if I had seen this episode in a vacuum, I'd be pretty high on Ben. 
but it's the past three episodes that are like, eh, I don't know what he's what he's up to. Yeah, I agree with that. Like to me, I think his content's good. It's just he's on the wrong tribe, and like he probably has a few too many blunders to be worth it. But like, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's probably good for Ben. I think he will continue to be a main character, right? Like definitely. I think he, and I guess my take is maybe by the end of this season people will be less hard on his him as a player. Because I think he came in as, like, a joke. But I think he'll leave as a well-respected player. I don't think he came in as a joke. I think he came in as somebody that was going to prove himself as a worthy winner or prove himself to not be a worthy winner. I think this is a very decisive season for Ben's legacy. Mm-hmm. I'd agree, except for the point that I actually think a case against him is that it hasn't been definitive. It has been... He makes a mistake, and he's like, oh, no, I made a mistake. Shoot. How do I fix it? Oh, I made a mistake. Shoot. How do I fix it? So it's very, like, on the fence. It's like he's a – he has good instincts. No, he's bad instincts, but he has the right ideas. He has – like, he's a complicated player, and I think that's what it's telling us. He He's not as good at deception as Boston Rob, but he's, he's charismatic, and he's likable, and he has his eye on the prize, and that's what matters. But I think his mistakes are being fixed not immediately, like him spilling all the info to Boston Rob. It's being shown as a blunder, but then he's fixing that mistake by like keeping these relationships developed with everybody else. And like that scene with Danny and Ethan on the trail around camp, where Danny's telling, um, Danny's talking to Ethan about like, oh, you know, we gotta the old school alliance, and Ben's like, oh, well, I'm right here, and he kind of keeps his mouth shut around them instead of like blowing up and saying something stupid that he shouldn't. You know, he doesn't put his foot he doesn't put his foot in his mouth there, which I think if episode 1 Ben had heard that, he would have. So I think he's showing this kind of growth as a very capable player in the game. I agree. I 100% agree with that. I think we're actually and maybe the biggest testament to the season is that we're actually seeing Ben increase as a player. Like he we're seeing him get better. Maybe Dr. Mike was right. He has a frosty that transcends the um that brings us here to denise poor denise um like pre-merge travels are her jam can't believe she left adam out of the vote overall though i don't think i'm super high on her she could probably go far but she might be near the bottom of my winner contender i think that denise even though we didn't see it was a very like had like played a very integral role in this episode um i think the way that the votes ended up turning out were probably because not that they didn't want to target Parvati, but rather they figured, hey, Rob, Ethan, Parvati know that the votes are going that way. Parvati's good with idols. She's got a history of that. We need to keep the vote off of Parvati because of a potential idol play. But Denise knows that's nothing to worry about. And yet she sits back, doesn't tell anybody else about it, and just lets it happen because it's better for her game. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, I am very low on Denise in terms of winning. It's there's a lot of gaps in what we should be seeing from Denise as opposed to what we're actually seeing. Like, I I think we get more content about how she's going to all these pre-merged tribals again. And like, is she cursed or stuff like that? Or obviously we see her decouple from Adam through confessional because I think that's big, especially if the last few episodes presented it as a strong pair. Um, the pieces just aren't there. I think yep. she has longevity. I think she's playing one of the best games out there, but not a winner. Yeah, she just has too much irony in her edit that hasn't been explained. Like, the Adam being Malcolm. You'd imagine her say something like, oh, 
he wants to be jungle boy or thing like we just <laughs> don't get that like there's like you're right there's gaps where you you expect the winner to comment on the goofy things that happen to them and remark on their surroundings and chew the scenery she just doesn't get that um she doesn't really like she gets like enough that you know she's an important character she has an idol she has allies we know that she likes Ben and is conflicted about Adam, even though we, I'm guessing she actually really likes Adam. Like, there's a lot of interesting things at play. Them leaving Adam out of the vote is maybe a hot take, something that gets aired if she wins. Like, how do I put it? Like, um, I think often they don't want to telegraph the boot. But I think Denise and Michelle and Jeremy being like, okay... Well, let's leave Adam out. Gets shown no matter what if she's a more important strategic force in the game because mm-hmm. it would have it would be divorcing them. But also, it doesn't necessarily mean Adam is going home. Right? It doesn't telegraph the Adam boot. It doesn't not telegraph the Adam boot. So it's content that can be shown. So why didn't we see them deciding that? And I will say she is getting like more content than like Nick or someone else, even Michelle. But she feels. Like, at the Tribal Council, she sort of pipes up out of nowhere. I'm like, oh, yeah, Denise is here, too. She feels like the most irrelevant character on Sele, a tribe that's already being overshadowed by Dakal. Yep. Like, she's getting content, but it's not, like, front and center, I would say. Thousand percent agreed. Um, Anything else on Denise before we move on? Love her. Oh, actually, <laughs> do you guys think that her idol will be play as in saved her? Hmm. No. I almost, like, from the way it's being presented, it almost feels non-factory to yeah. me. Yeah. No, I, like, I agree with that. It, like, I don't see, like, when Denise... Like, I, even though I, I'm not very high on her, like, winning potential, I don't see a, a scenario in the near future where she does get voted out. Right. So I don't know when... But, I like, it, it's Denise, so we know she's going to be going to more tribal councils. So I think that she like maybe play, tries to play it on somebody else or she tries to play it on herself when votes are coming her way um, because maybe she gets – her relationship with Adam gets too tied together and she gets nervous and she just plays it out of over-cautiousness. Um, I don't know. It, I just don't – I don't think Denise's idol is going to uh, – going to have a lot of relevance to the story this season mm-hmm. i agree with the caveat as unless it's not on ben i think she could play it on ben to save him in some meaningful capacity oh, yeah no, no no i yep i agree with that um and i actually think that might be a likely scenario because we did get like this weird mystery from last week that didn't get answered of well okay we told we got we heard that she really liked that ben didn't want the idol but then no content on Denise's thoughts on Adam wanting the idol. I think that's an interesting thing because I'm sure her content was, oh, and I like Adam too. Um, but they chose not to air that. They chose to show Ben not wanting it as a positive. So I do think that they're more connected than I think we'd expect right now. I think we'll actually see that be a meaningful duo. And so that brings us here to Jeremy, who maybe hot take is playing an A-plus game of Survivor, who his number one ally got voted out the first tribal and is now completely deciding the vote in a power position. Jeremy's playing great. He might be one of the most likely Selly members to win. Um, again, that's not a glowing endorsement, but um, <laughs> I... he does have the Natalie content. He has a lot of like side stuff going on. He has Michelle. He has Ben. He has the relationships. I think I think Jeremy made a mistake. I think Jeremy and Michelle made a mistake this round. I think that once Boston Rob came to them with like with the decision, 
like, hey, you know, I know, I know that this decision has been made to vote on Parvati. I think like they kind of shot themselves in the foot there by not like by by not only like by not voting for Adam and also switching the vote at the same time. If they had voted for Parvati, I think it would have been very like, okay, yeah, we had a plan and we stuck to it. If they vote with if they vote with them and vote on Adam, no harm, no foul. But to switch the vote and vote to Ethan, it's a direct betrayal of Parvati. It's a direct betrayal of Rob. And I think you've now left Adam out of the vote. And Rob came to Jeremy, since we're just talking about him, Rob came to him and said, you know, this is what we're doing. You know, I know I heard this is the plan. I came to him in confidence. And Rob doesn't take too kindly to being betrayed by that. And he's not going to look at Adam as somebody who betrayed him. He's going to look at Jeremy and Michelle as somebody who betrayed him or as people who betrayed him. I would hard disagree that he's playing an A-plus game. I think... See, I think he's playing an okay game. I mean, this move aside, because I do think the smartest thing was to just vote Parvati. Um, I think he's he has really recovered from being on the outs in that first episode to where he is now still technically in power. Like, I think Ben, Denise, Jeremy, Michelle holds pretty tight in this tribe for the rest of their time. Um, I guess I disagree with the fact that he is a good winner contender, as I have this entire season so far just i mean this episode is sort of the pinnacle of it where michelle and jeremy make this move together and michelle gets so much content for it now whether that's her proving she's a good player or her as a winner we'll get to that but the fact is jeremy got like none of the sort of credit for it and i think that is one of the worst things for jeremy i can't believe him you go you go he he got the content like Michelle got the content of hey I'm what if we you know Parvati's rocking the boat what if we did something else Jeremy got the content of he was lying to Rob's face he was the one who was like no come on man that's not the plan I I know you think that's the plan but that's not the plan you know and so I think that's a uh, that's a bad look for a winner contender when you're just like blatantly lying to somebody while somebody else is getting credit for a move that might be true I. I guess to me, I'm just shocked I'm actually disagreeing with both of you. I think game-wise, it makes a whole lot of sense to keep Parvati in the game with Adam voting her. So now Parvati and Adam are against each other and no Jeremy. That's actually a good move. Also, you cut off uh, Adam's little side hustle. I don't know if they knew how much... Because we never actually saw Ethan defect from Adam from their perspective. We saw Ethan tell Boston Rob and be like, okay, well, this is a problem. We didn't see Ethan tell Jeremy. So Ethan clearly valued Adam a little bit more than he valued Jeremy. So it makes sense to take out um, Ethan. And this is true for Michelle too. Um, So it makes sense to take out Ethan instead of Parvati, who just like Adam and like Jeremy a little bit more. But additionally, in a season where I'm looking at the edge chart right now, Jeremy is one of the very, very, very two people, three people, who haven't had an under-the-radar episode. That's really dang good for Jeremy. He's one of the characters that they've reminded us every single episode that's important to check in with. Jeremy isn't a god of confessionals. He isn't Tony. He isn't, like, erratic. He hasn't really done anything that crazy. But every episode, he's got a pretty good lay of the land. We've got to see where he's thinking. If you're just thinking on purely, like, just edit basis without complex tribe theory, I don't know how he isn't somewhere in your winner contender list uh, i think it's just the idea that he he is like consistent in that i guess he gets confessionals and yeah i don't have them as under the radar i think some of those are arguable um but like he's never 
sort of anywhere near the front of making the decisions. Like here it was Michelle getting a lot of content. And I guess Jeremy was seen as the right hand there. So maybe mm-hmm. it's the closest he's been. Right. It but... was it was Adam pushing for a poverty vote, Rob pushing for an Adam vote, and then Michelle making the decision to vote for Ethan. Right. Jeremy was clued in on all three of those votes, which is good for him. I my take is that Jeremy's the merge boot. <gasps> hmm. It's a possibility. I think Jeremy's an important character anyway, compared to a lot of people. Um, again, he's not high for me. He's like, he's a possibility, but he's not even particularly high. Um, but yeah, I guess that's my thoughts on Jeremy. Uh, I do want to rope in Michelle here though, because Michelle had an awesome episode and Michelle, I guess, continues to prove, especially if we're treating episode one, the whole two hours as one episode as maybe a comeback kid, like where her first episode half was terrible. She wasn't on it. Second half half of the episode was pretty good. Episode two was pretty good. And now with episode three, really good. Michelle, I think, is... She was the one I was heavily weighing against Tony for longevity. I think Michelle is almost certainly going very far in the game. But I don't know how much win equity I would give her. I feel like she's late merge. I just don't know if she can win. But I do think she's probably going very far and she's a really character story being i'm gonna prove i'm not the girl that just stole aubrey out of a win i think obviously i was really excited for this episode because it's great for michelle and there is the chance there for like some sort of winners edit to come of it i think the problem is that you could take these episodes and be like oh michelle wanted to prove herself she proved herself that is Mm -hmm. her story and she could go next episode and i would not be shocked like she does not have longevity for me i think wow there is sort of contending with that even in her lack of content she was portrayed as some sort of important character to the story going forward like she get she did get lots of moments where we checked in with michelle or like she was an important character i think to the strategy of sally in a way that jeremy wasn't per se like she may have been under the radar but like we got to see where she stood often fair um yeah i think I have her as fifth, but I wouldn't put her on my chart because I I don't know if it's just Michelle proved herself. Michelle is a worthy player who won the game of Survivor fairly and deserved it, or if there's actual stuff there. And I think maybe the final nail in that coffin at this point is she's on Sele. Yeah, that's the like that's the real <laughs> problem. Like the winner's almost certainly on the other track. Sucks. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I think there is a case that like, I don't know, Michelle story in a weird way could either be the things will be hard but you belong here as a winner and like that just be like her story like okay she got voted out fifth and her story was look she's capable she belongs Mm -hmm. or it could be how she ends up making it to the end of the game Mm -hmm. both of those are pretty possible it's just clear that that's her story is like she's overcoming expectations has she already done that i'm not sure i don't think she's negative i don't think this is a story about how Michelle didn't live up to expectations. Whatever no, that means. Michelle is someone to root for at this point. Agreed with that. Um, Spencer, any thoughts on Michelle before to Parvati Queen? Um, like I, I kind of spoke too soon. Not spoke too soon. I spoke preemptively on Michelle when I was talking about Jeremy. Um, I think she is receiving credit in the edit for um for the moves that that duo is making, which I think does you know, a lot of, a lot of good for her, uh, in terms of longevity, but, um, 
at the end of the day, I think that Michelle is going to be somebody who makes it far in the game based on preconceived notions of threats. I think a lot of people are getting taken out because a lot of people are getting taken out or looking to be taken out because of their threat level coming into the game, right? Amber was taken out because of her threat level because of Boston Rob. Parvati was taken out, or Parvati was wanted to be taken out by Adam because, oh, Parvati, you know, she bats her eyelashes and she can get whatever she wants, where we haven't seen that at all. So it's all of these like preconceived notions on these players. Michelle doesn't have that. Michelle is probably the, on paper, the least threatening person in this entire cast i think that bodes really really well for her making it very far because she's gonna have to do a lot to be perceived as a threat agreed Mm -hmm. anything she's right now because i think she has a a blended longevity and whatnot to be like a fire maker slash losing final idol boot like that's to me kind of what i like that genre of person i don't know if i have a prediction of which one it would be yet but, like, I feel like they all kind of look the same in this modern age. Like, the Firemaker loser or idol victim all like kind of uh, look the same. Like the, like the Libby Karake edit. Yeah, agreed. A hundred percent agreed. Maybe where, a where, you're receiving, where you're receiving positive content, but you kind of know that you're not going to, re- like, get that payout of they're going to win the season. Yeah, yeah I, I guess. I mean, with, that, might be, that might be a stretch, but I don't with know. With future episodes. It's a question to me of, like, is Michelle still someone we're keeping an eye on? Like, because I think when you talk about a Libby, like, Libby had that really big episode early on, and then we didn't care about her until she got eliminated. So, yeah, it's stuff like that. Yeah, agreed. And so I guess with that, we'll move here to Parvati, the Black Widow Queen herself. Early on, we were both, uh, me and Joe, were both pretty high on Parvati as a winner. I'm sad. I don't think that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Have you sort of slid over to my train of this is not the edit she would get if she were winning? I know it's yes. tricky because, because she still was the decoy boot in some way. And so mm-hmm. that kind of stuck in my mind after last episode was like, what could they have done to sort of edit her differently? But I still think it's that idea of even if she is the decoy boot, like none of the agency of her escaping that is being given to her. Agreed. People are playing with Parvati as though she is a chess piece, and that is not a place Parvati should be. Agreed. I actually think like she's probably playing pretty well to okay, like somewhere in that range. But like it's kind of Kim, like where she's just not kind of giving are considering her as a piece in the game, and mm-hmm. I don't think it's great for her. I think she has some win equity, but not nearly as much as I would like. Again, this is, like, maybe my favorite Survivor player of all time. And she's just not getting a story. Like, she doesn't quite have it. It could pop back up. Like, that's the thing. She is now in a role where she could kind of vanish for a little bit. She was good premiere, decoy boot, decoy boot. Really, I feel like disqualifying her yet is a little preemptive. But I'm almost willing to do it just because you're right. That she's not giving the agency for saving herself. And her content this episode, aside from being the decoy boot, was not great where she gave that confessional, like, I'm going to chew up Adam's... It was supposed. It seemed like this huge, like, hyped-up confessional. I'm going to chew up Adam's bones and spit him out onto the edge of extinction. And then it just doesn't happen. And she kind of looks silly for saying this outrageous comment. Mm-hmm. Also, we get this weird content of her going out into the water and just swimming with the snorkel. Like, I don't know if she was actually, like, intending to do anything productive or just enjoying a swim. So Right? That was funny. Like, And that's, like, classic old winner 
edit stuff. Like, oh, they're shown fishing. They're probably winning. Like, mm-hmm. I guess she wasn't fishing. She was just swimming. But she was just swimming. <laughs> I don't didn't know really was... highlight that. Like, right. She could have been fishing. Right. Like to, to someone barely paying attention. She could have been swimming or she could have been fishing. And I mean, if you have Adam and Ethan talking about this, like maybe go to Parvati first and give her the Sandra content of like, I'm out here again, so I'm going to provide. And that's what she's doing. I mean, mm-hmm. question of whether she said that or not always, but <laughs> even if she was just like, yeah, I'm probably not winning. I'm going to go swim around in a beautiful ocean. Yeah. Like, I'm excited to enjoy this time out here. Yeah. If anything, that gives her more of a win chance, I guess. I hope Parvati mm-hmm. wins. I hope she gets more. Um, she's actually been a lot of fun on this season. I'm just a little mixed <laughs> on her win equity. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to Boston Rob. And I think last week we got a lot of people being like, just because he didn't get voted out doesn't mean he's the best player of all time. Do I think Boston Rob is the best player of all time? No. Do I think he's making a case for in the tier of best players of all time? Yes. Um, This week especially, too. Like This is another week where I guess, yeah, sure, his ally got voted out. Ethan got voted out, he liked him. The vote went against him. But Rob literally single-handedly flipped the vote away from Parvati, right? Like, that's a huge <laughs> deal. Um, Rob clearly had a good enough relationship with Adam. Like, Adam Valley was like, don't worry, guys, I got Rob. Like, we're good. And Rob seemed to have no, like, did not give a crap about Adam. <laughs> that's the power of Boston Rob, right? Like, that we see in the other seasons is he's able to make people that he doesn't care about at all feel like they're special and unique to him and that he loves them individually i think he showed that again this season this episode i loved the decision to go to jeremy and michelle because it's not something you again just like last week with the idol search thing this is not something you'd ever see for most survivor players just going up to somebody and being like i know you're lying to me cut it out right now and then we still get results for that like he didn't get voted out after calling them out on that i think is a huge deal right i think yeah i don't know if I would say Boston Rob is the best player of all time. In fact, I definitely don't think I would say that if I were to sit down and really consider it. What I am wowed by this season and continue to be wowed by is he is the person who from episode to episode, we keep seeing make active plays. Like mm-hmm. think of the way he confronted Ben and how like, like sharp and on point that was to like get at him. His idol um, emptying the bags thing. The way he confronted Michelle and Jeremy here. Like we don't see that. And maybe people are always doing that. But it was just very on point. He knew exactly what he needed to do. And I think Michelle and Jeremy honestly played it really well. Um, like I said before. But Rob obviously also played a very good move. And sort of going to different sources. And being like what can we do? Mm-hmm. I agree like. I really am very constantly impressed with Rob. I'm starting to think he could go a lot further than we'd expect. Like, he's getting the throwaway Ben being like, I just want him off the island. But it's never quite solidifying into anything. And I wouldn't be surprised if he makes the merge at this point. Like, he seems to have a lot of momentum. He seems to be willing to actually be a mover and shaker in the game. I don't know. I think at this point, it's kind of hard to doubt Rob. His edit's not bad. Obviously, it's built on the his reputation outside the game a little bit. Um, but I think even in spite of that, like it's it's pretty forgiving to him. And I think I don't think he's our winner, but I've, I guess I've been maintaining this whole time, and I think it's true. 
this is the season where Rob proves he's as good as some people thought he was to the people who didn't believe him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think- it's the Sandra game changers where she performs the worst, but gets the respect of the people that didn't believe in her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say I'm about in the same place where I don't think he's winning, but it feels like the edit isn't always on his side at sometimes. It paints him as a little shadier than it needs to. And But I do think the edit is there that I wouldn't be surprised per se if he won. It's just I don't think it's a high chance of happening. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Which brings us to well, our very well, last... I just... Can I just- Say yeah. one thing about Rob. Sorry. Sure. Um, no, you're fine. <laughs> Rob's Rob's game um has longevity as long as um as long as he and Sandra aren't on the same tribe or they haven't merged together. I think mm-hmm. Rob like it was it's been set up, you know, it's the theme of the season. It's winners at war. Rob had a confessional. If it was Sandra, this is war. There's gotta be some sort of payoff with that. There's no way that just that confessional happens on this season with the two people who have statues made of them out there in um, in Fiji mm-hmm. and you just and we just don't see them meet after after all these circumstances. I think that as long as they are not together, I feel very confident that Rob is going to be safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as they end up on a tribe together, I am very worried for both of them. I think Rob beats I agree with you that Rob versus I think that's one of the themes of the season. And I think Rob comes out on top. Um, part of that might be Idol, Island of the Idols. I mean, we got to see Sandra. Basically, everything she said was wrong. Um, she's continuously, like, she gets out there saying she loves Vince, who leaves in the same episode. She loves Karishma, who's lashed out at and made fun of the whole season. Like, she's constantly shown having a terrible read on things. Uh, that's obviously edited, right? Um, I think in this season, Rob looks way better than Sandra does. I think Rob probably beat Sandra, and that's, like, his story. Like, it's mm-hmm. like, look, I beat Sandra, and I played pretty impressively. Can you guys stop saying that Redemption Island was a fluke? That's, I feel like, his story. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's a very good point to bring up about Rob and Sandra. Mm-hmm. No, I'm glad we didn't forget about that. Which brings us to Ethan. Um, <laughs> I'm sad. Like, Ethan's great. I actually thought he would go a lot farther. This is the first one. Really, really, really shocked. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it makes sense, because growth edits with Edge of Extinction are complicated because you can grow on Edge of Extinction. Mm-hmm. The thing with Ethan, I don't think he'll come back. Hmm. I think he might have a chance. I think I need to see what happens on Edge of Extinction, how he's portrayed mm. there. Because think- Sorry, go on. I think sort of he did have the strengths of the oldest winner and um, his story, what he's been through since Survivor to sort of bask in for these first few episodes. And then once he's voted out and he's not as much of a character that we need to spend our time with, maybe they'll lighten up or maybe this was all part of him returning. I don't know yet. I think that I, I think that Ethan is not going to be I, I will stick with the stick with the take from earlier that Tyson is probably going to be the edge of extinction returnee for the merge. Uh, and I think Ethan is probably going to be the um, the like final what final seven returnee if they do it oh wow if they do it the same format and the reason i think that is they have to like continuing storylines ethan's when he got to edge of extinction he was like i've already been on edge of extinction because of his uh because of Mm -hmm. his battle with cancer right and they've kept on saying ethan it's it's a 
you know, a miracle that Ethan's out here in the first place because he ne- he was never supposed to beat cancer. And now he's out here and now he's going through it all again and he's going to beat it just like he did in real life. Wow. <laughs> I don't think it's a bad take, to be honest. Like- that might be too, like, tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, but I think, like, as far as, as far as, you know, connecting the dots go, I think that it bodes very well for him. Yeah, like, I, I mean, if you're thinking, like, I feel like there's been a school of thought that Edge of Extinction... The returnee just has no chance because winners aren't going to respect people that get voted out. I think to me, that's been greatly overhyped because I think Edge of Extinction inherently is cult like, where staying on Edge of Extinction implies that you think you have some chance at winning, which means you have to acknowledge that other people who enter the game instead of you have a chance at winning. Um, discounting them completely invalidates your entire journey. If Reem on Edge of Extinction is like, mm, if you get voted out, you don't deserve to win. It invalidates her chance of ever winning the game. And so I don't think you can ever discount winners voting for Edge of Extinction Returnee. It was going to be somebody. Somebody like Ethan actually makes a lot of sense. Um, And that he's just super positive. And right. Like, I think regardless of regardless of who's on the Edge of Extinction, I think the fact that they're still there means that they're willing to vote for somebody who is on the edge. Yeah. Because otherwise, what? Otherwise, right. why stay? They're hoping, they're hoping that that would be the same for them. You know, yeah. like Danny's not on the edge of extinction because she's like, oh, I don't respect this. I would never vote for somebody there. She still wants to win. Um, yeah. So I think that, and I and I think that with the res- the mutual respect that all these winners seem to have for each other, um, just means that you know, hey, it's it's a game. We're all playing it. We're all playing the same game, and I don't see anybody being penalized for playing it. Hmm. Like Aubrey Bracco victim of quote-unquote the most bitter jury of all time voted for the edge of extinction attorney to win like david wright voted for the edge of extinction attorney like i think that whole thing like the winners would never do this is so fan fictiony it's not even funny um so yeah like maybe that's not a bad point i think i think that is a very astute way to look at it is that at least subliminally if you're staying there you want to win so therefore the person who returns can also win. I do think, and it didn't happen in the first edge of extinction, but there is a sort of hypocrisy that can also happen where it's like, well, yeah, I didn't make it back. So like, if I make it back, I should win. But like, if someone else makes it back, well, they didn't stay in the game the entire time. So they don't deserve to win. So I think there is the possibility for that. We just haven't seen it yet. Um, I don't know how it will be on this season, honestly. I I think there's a difference that I can't quite put into words about how on the first season it was a surprise to everyone. Yes. Versus how on this season they know it's happening. I think more of it is how much individual jury members weigh the idea of staying in the game proper and playing from there versus their time on edge of extinction i think the actual interesting question there is knowing it's there means that you're very likely to have conversations while you're still in the game about how a return you shouldn't win you know what i mean like and survivor edge of extinction 38 no one had a conversation while they were still an active player being like well if you come back from edge of extinction I don't think you deserve to win mm-hmm. because right. they didn't know it existed. But in this world, they do know it exists. And so it's actually very likely they make packs before they're voted out to not ever vote for an extinction attorney. Whether the weird cult like phenomenon that is living on an island without a chance to win 
changes that is the question. But I actually think knowing lowers their chance to win actually quite a bit. I think that the um, it's an impossible argument to make to the jury because I don't see I don't see anybody quitting the edge of extinction. Um, Same. I, I just I don't see that happening. And I think you're going to have you're going to have a jury of 17 people for this season, um, all of who have been on the edge of extinction, or most of whom have been on the edge of extinction at one point or another. And if one finalist says, if, if there's somebody right, like if there's somebody sitting on the jury who was on the edge of extinction. They say, oh, well, I was in the game. They were on the edge of extinction, not playing the game. I think you discount the story that every single person on that jury, or, you know, most people on that jury were hoping would be theirs, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't you can't say, you know, don't vote for Ethan. He was on the edge of extinction. You know, that's not even part of the real game. And then you have somebody like Danny, Amber, maybe Natalie Anderson, who are just like, well, I was on the edge of extinction. What are you saying? Like you wouldn't, you don't respect, you don't respect me is what you're saying. So yeah, I think, I think, you bring that, I think that is shooting yourself in the foot. That is right. I think to expand on that, it would have to come from the jury themselves sort of discussing and talking and being like, well, that's not what we want to reward. So they would have to birth their own hypocrisy rather than agree with what a finalist is saying at final tribal council. Yeah. You almost need like bulk quitting. You know what I mean? Like being like, you know what? A winner can't come from here and shouldn't come from here. Mm-hmm. But they want to win them two million dollars, so they, you know, what I mean, like it's inherently self defeating. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, Ethan, I think he he might have a chance. Uh, not very high on my list, but like I could see his play on the edge of extinction coming back and winning. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, like he has a good personal story. It's just mm-hmm. how much does that mean? We need more there. It's like, like a better Chris Underwood sort mm-hmm. of like they didn't just make him invisible. They gave him a little content. We didn't think it was enough if you were winning conventionally per se, but I could see it from here maybe. Right, and Ethan's Ethan's got the personal story outside of the game, right? Like he's got the um right. the, the Adam Klein Millennials versus Gen X story of oh my gosh, you know this personal this personal tragedy, and not to downplay it at all, but that does wonders for juries, and um, mm-hmm, for sure, I think that you know art parallels life, and I think that it's too big of a theme to just not have in the season. I agree. Um, so yeah, that's Ethan, um, which brings us to our predictions. First, we're going to start with our predictions of who will be the next boot. I believe that Tyson will be the next person eliminated from the game. And I do not think he'll get the most votes. How about you, Joe? I think Tyson, but he will get the most votes. Sandra will waste our idol. Ooh. And Spencer? Ooh, I think um, I think Parvati's going to be out next. No! Yeah, I mean, if it's, if it's Sully, it's always Parvati. Sorry, but uh. as, as much as I would love to see Parvati still in the game, I think she's the next person to go out. I think that Sully has proven to be pretty incompetent at challenges, even when Boston Rob is at the helm of a puzzle. Um, mm-hmm. They they go behind in the physical portion, and then they either can't catch up with the puzzle, or they blow a lead with the puzzle. And um, I think if I think they're going to lose the challenge, and I think she goes home. Yeah, they're like clearly way less way less athletic. Like that's the real kicker is they just have no physical strength. Like both of these challenges the last two weeks have been like pick up a heavy thing and throw it around and like 
poor Jeremy's there sitting alone, lifting like <laughs> 700 pounds. Wait, like, but the thing is, they shouldn't be less athletic, right? On paper, you've got Ethan, who is like an, a former professional soccer player. You've got Ben, a Marine veteran. You've got Jeremy, yeah. a firefighter. Um, Adam, uh, yeah, he's not, um, Adam, 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 he's not athletic. And Rob, he may not look athletic, but the way that he was literally throwing people over that log, like he's athletic. Like, so it makes zero sense that that tribe is unathletic, but they are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is I think they just have a lot of like, like Adam's doing nothing. Denise isn't doing a whole lot. Michelle isn't doing a whole lot. Part like. Mm-hmm. And he's been like physical challenges. So um Rob can't literally carry his tribe on his back. <laughs> um yeah, so that's 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 our uh, predictions for next episode. Um my winner predictions, uh, as kind of stated before, I think Tony's number one, Sophie's number two, Tyson's number three, and honestly, I think there's a significant enough departure from everybody else that I would only list. Hmm. Uh I go Sophie number one, Tyson number two. Amber number three, and then Tony number four. We're doing four or three here. As many as you like. Um. Okay. Uh. Yule number one. Sophie number two. Um. Michelle number three, possibly. Mm. And Ethan number four. Wow. Cool. Interesting. Hot, hot um, take four over here. <laughs> we've already talked about Denise's idol. Uh. The only other one I guess we have to, left in the ether is: Do we think Kim's idol will be played correctly? I think Sophie just holds on to that piece and is like, sorry, Kim. Yes, I think we're <laughs> seeing the tie in Korong. Like, sorry, sorry, Scott, bye. <laughs> I think they get um I think they get swapped away from each other before Sophie has a chance to give it back to her. Yeah. Do they swap back though? No. Uh, no. Well, I mean No, I think I think like they get swapped they get swapped away from each other while And then one of them goes. While, yeah, while Sophie has the other half of the idol and Kim gets voted out. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably just be brutal. Then so I, th- or- I think they swap together and we get the tie moment. Hmm. Maybe Sophie uses the half idol as a fake idol. Kim gets voted out and puts her piece of it in Sophie's fire token box. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fun. Anyways, that's our show. You can email us at, us at thewinneredit at gmail.com. No S. Um, that was taken for some reason. Uh, new episodes on Saturdays or Sundays. Uh, this week is going to be Sunday because I'm going to edit this on Saturday night. Um, you can uh, comment on we post these all these episodes on Reddit, on our Edgic, on our Survivor. Um, we try to we always read all the emails you send us. Um, if we think it fits into the show well, we'll read them. So definitely email us if you have any fun thoughts. We always appreciate your listening. Thanks so much, and have a wonderful weekend. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at jchapman9000. Uh, you can follow Dan on Twitter at dannykillsbees. And I know Spencer wants that, so I'll let him share his own information. Uh, sure. You can follow me on Twitter at spencerbrief8. Sweet. Are you a good tweeter? Uh, I don't really tweet Survivor. Me, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> you can follow me if you want to. I'll, I'll always always shamelessly plug myself. But Yeah. yeah. You'll see the tweets we like. Yeah, exactly. Peace out.